on a show that talks about time traveling Bigfoot and alien sex cults. This is serious journalism, people. Serious. <laughs> this time, this is like, time we mean it. If you think that there are not birds that are not <laughs> real, you're a moron. I do have a superstition that Satan and his minions yes. interrupt mm. technological yes. connections when conversations are getting yes. particularly interesting or, or important. At this point, I'm not throwing these weirdos out because maybe they're telling the truth. Why does everything have to be a hidden conspiracy where the <laughs> motives aren't really clear? Where you can't tell what someone's intentions are from their words. Why, Abby, why? I, I feel like you're just not answering the question. It, there is a pattern here that is definitive, and mm-hmm. this leads us to the CEO's response, yeah. which is not the way that you Amazing. want to play being accused of in a conspiracy theory. Glowing metal things that are moving in impossible speeds and impossible directions, defying laws of physics, showing up over battlefields, showing up over important historical events for all of history. This is Chekhov's gun, you guys. It's the gun that's been sitting on the mantelpiece since Act 1. It's Act 3 now. I'm waiting for it to go off. Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 9 of Conspiracy Pilled. Um, a trigger warning for today's episode, before I let PJ say a word. It's going to be a lot of ginger on There's this a, episode. Yeah, yeah, wow. Use the hard <laughs> R, too. Okay, so that's how we're starting the show. Thank you, Abby, for that intro. Um, <laughs> guys, we, we are back in the United States of America. We landed back in the United States after spending five days in California. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it was a good time. We're going to be talking about that later on. Um, so if you guys are watching this, you want to stick around for the uh, portion at the end where we talk to you guys on Rumble and just answer questions and stuff like that. I know a lot of people in Discord. We've just been kind of not, uh, I, at least I have not been active on social media or in the Discord or anything for the last few days. So we've been going pretty hard from like 6 in the morning till 10 at night every day it's, and then yeah, flying overnight. We're both exhausted. And luckily we thought ahead and I was like, when we do this trip, we're going to be so tired when we get home. We're not going to be able to do an episode. So we actually pre-recorded um, an interview with Paul Stobbs. So we will be here at the beginning. We will be here at the end to talk about the interview and we will be going over and answering your rumble rants and your chats and chatting with all you guys. Uh, but luckily we got uh, Paul Stobbs on to talk about the Nephilim, our clowns conspiracy. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking. I think it was MK Ryan that had suggested this to us. I think a few people did. And uh, it was one of those things where I was like, that sounds so silly. It would be perfect for our show. And then when I looked into it, I was like, oh, wow, there's actually something really cool here. And uh, since recording this, I feel like I've uh, gotten to know Paul Stobbs and uh, he's, he's a pretty great dude. I'm a strawberry blonde. See, thank you. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> he's watching right now. I've been saying the same thing to Abby, but she likes she likes uh, using that hard R word about our people. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Just have souls. Hey, pick pick a lane. You know are they your people, or are you not a ginger? Strawberry blondes have souls. Okay. <laughs> you know how you know how soul who doesn't. <laughs> Get that on your soundboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So, uh, quick shout out to locals. Uh, our Baird has become a yearly supporter uh, over on locals. If you guys want to get the bonus unhinged content, go to conspiracypill.locals.com. Uh, we've got, we had to delay our episode on zombies, but that's coming out tomorrow. 
Uh, we're going to be doing that live tomorrow on Rockfin on Locals. Um, cool thing, I actually got to talk about zombies and werewolves on a uh, on OANN today, which is going to be that coming was, out later tonight. That was tonight. super cool. Yeah, so uh, that'll be fun. We've got some five-star reviews to read at the end of the show. So again, if you guys really want to help the show uh, and you don't want to spend $5 to get bonus content, uh, five-star reviews really, really help. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's like all the... I know we're going to be talking about the stuff later. So is there anything else we want to say or we just save it for the end of the show and get right into the interview? Uh, somebody asked, I watched I'd suddenly asked, are you getting sick? You sound different. PJ is allergic to communism. I am. I was having some type of allergies the entire time I was in California. I'm starting to be able to breathe again. But um, yeah, part of the reason I'm exhausted is I could not breathe the whole time we were out there. Uh, I didn't sleep good. <laughs> It was bad. So uh, I think I am allergic to, to communism, guys. So um, that we, we went behind enemy lines to get some great information for you guys. We were at CPAC. For people who don't know, we were at the, uh, what was it, the Conference for Procession and Ancient Knowledge. So, so yeah, CPAC with a K. With a K. We, were, we, we wound up in the wrong CPAC. Donald Trump wasn't there, but there was this guy named Jimmy Corsetti. He was talking about uh, Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. Some, some guy, I don't think anybody's ever heard of him before. His name was like Graham Hancock who spoke there. So that was interesting. It was a good time, though. I feel like we I met a bunch a of cool people that we're hoping to be able to get on the show pretty soon. So, yeah, we got a chance tuned. to go over to the Babylon B headquarters, which is fun. We'll have more information on that. But uh, it was just a good time in in uh, California. It's Calm it's good to be back in America. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, so let's get this party started. Let's get this party started. Let's jump over to the interview with Paul Stobbs, and we will see you guys at the end. Let's kick it off. All right, everyone. Well, Paul Stobbs is joining us from Understanding Conspiracy today. Paul Stobbs, welcome to Conspiracy Pilled. How's it going, man? Um, it's going well. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah. No, I'm super excited to have you here. This is So this is so funny. We had someone in our Discord channel, MK Ryan. Shout out to MK Ryan, who yeah. uh, we have this whole thing for show suggestions. And we've talked about Nephilim on our show a few times. And he, I kept getting this one from him and a few other people, I think, that said Nephilim are clowns. And I was like, that sounds fun. It sounds interesting. But I thought it was I thought it was going to be more of a joke. And I looked up, uh, you know, a Reddit thread on it and I watched someone's video and then they were referencing you. So I watched your stuff. And I got to say, like, first of all, excited to have you on the show. But the stuff you're talking about is so much deeper beyond uh, a meme or a joke than I thought it would be. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny because. I know how it sounds like yeah. <laughs> on the surface. Like I do know what the theory sounds like to someone who's just hearing it for the first time. The Nephilim look like clowns. Like what the hell does that, is that supposed to mean? You know? And I, I do, I do wonder what people's thought processes are, you know, when they first hear it. And, um, you know, I see people's comments and reactions all the time in, in threads and random things. And it's, again, they have this meme attitude about it, like uh, the Hong yeah. Hong juggling, unicycling clown image in their head, you know, and, Again, that's actually not really what my work's about. Funny enough, <laughs> the, the, the name is um, is a bit of a hook, really. I'm just, yeah. I'm being I'm being quite overdramatic with what I'm saying, and uh, my wife is constantly telling me that I'm lying to people with the name. The Nephilim look like clowns. <laughs> um, what what I should be saying is clowns look like Nephilim. It's the other way around, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Uh, but, it, uh, it does roll off the tongue the other way a little bit better. But yeah, I hear what you're that's saying. That's what I mean. Yeah, I, I'm pl I'm playing off the, the cooler sounding way of saying it, basically. Right. But. Uh, my, my work essentially is an anthrop anthropological study of folk traditions more than anything. Um, and, you know, what I see is a pattern recognition kind of situation going on where I've 
ended up discovering that there is quite a nefarious history to the image of a clown and where it actually comes from. And it's kind of been occulted and hidden from, from people. And um, I found the, the sim, this symbol we call a clown in the Western world has become very prevalent in the modern age as well um, to reference the demonic, like mm-hmm. literally, in a literal sense. Um, and hopefully we can get into that today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that pops up into my mind is the movie It, which oh, is yeah. essentially a, a space clown with, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it exactly, because every iteration of It, whether it's the book or the first version of the movie, or the second version of the movie kind of has a different explanation, but it is very demonic in and of itself. And beyond that, it's just, I mean, I don't know many people I've met who aren't at least somewhat creeped out by clowns. Like, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure I know anybody who's like, yeah, no clowns. That's cool and cuddly and fun. But, well, no, colorophobia, the fear of clowns, funnily enough, yeah. is actually one of, one of the most common fears. It's not like the, I think her fear of snakes and spiders is, is up there. Um, but clowns are up there too in the top 10. You know, it's common, it's normal. It's, it's considered just a normal fear and nothing weird about it type of thing. Um, and they just feel like there's something kind of deep rooted about the whole fear right, of clowns yeah. thing. Maybe, it, like it's, maybe it's within our DNA to naturally be scared of these things actually may have may look like predators from the past that were eating us you know that's enough to scar the genetic historical memory of humanity more than anything you know what i mean giant clown looking monsters tearing humans apart you know yeah so i think maybe there's more to the fear of clowns than we thought maybe. yeah and, and abby's not with us so that's something she'll bring up a lot she'll be like there is some there has to be something about you know whatever conspiracy we're talking about that is just rooted in our DNA to be afraid of this. And what is that? What is the the uncanny valley, for instance? Like, why is that yeah. freaking us out? Is there things that used to mimic humans that didn't weren't quite humans? And we had to be able to differentiate that to be able to avoid danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But anyway, how did how did you get on this path of of the Nephilim or clowns or or the clowns look like Nephilim? Thing? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a long story to be honest, and I have told it so many times. Yeah. And I'm trying to condense it as much as I can sure, every time sure, I sure. tell it. So I'm, I'm going to try and quickly breeze through it today. Mm-hmm. Um, but my channel, the very first episode of my channel kind of lays out most of why I got onto the idea. Um, but it comes from um, a lot of spiritual experiences, basically, through the, um, from 2012 to 2000, well, from about 2011 through to 2015, basically. And I had some um, psychedelic experiences. I was a heavy New Age psychedelic explorer during that time. Um, I was deep into conspiracy world and culture and Gnostic thinking and um, new age ideologies, basically, in the right. Eastern philosophies. And I was doing the whole taking every hard psychedelic drug I could get my hands on to try and explore the other world type of thing. Um, and I saw some things, basically, which I thought were curious, you know, and interesting. And it, it kind of solidified for me personally that there is this spiritual realm where entities reside. And I'd always heard, because once you're in that world, you always hear about the DMT jesters, these clown-looking entities that appear to people. And, you know, Joe Rogan kind of popularized this idea in a massive way, you know, but um, he's not wrong. There is something there that kind of looks off, you know, it's kind of like a clown joker-like thing. Um, When I was doing my own exploration, I wasn't really visited by many entities. And I do wonder if that was maybe, um, I was being protected in some way, (laughs) to be honest, looking back. But I did see one in a in a flashback episode years after I stopped doing psychedelics. So around the 2014, 15 era, it's been a couple of years since I got anywhere near the stuff. Um, by this point, I'd be kind of been born again and saved. But, um, I became a Christian 
through my research into the truth and movement and the culture, I, I eventually realized all the truth keeps pointing back to the biblical perspective. So I was seeped in, in research of the Nephilim, basically, which I'm sure right, you're yeah. probably very well aware of this, this race that was created by angels mating with the daughters of Cain, you know, and um, all of this extra biblicals uh, kind of research into topics that churches don't usually talk about brought my, me closer to God, basically. It answered a lot yeah. of questions for me, which I, I'd always wondered and kind of kept me away from it. Uh, so kind of summarizing, you know, I had this vision basically one night where I, I saw this enormous black and white line fractaled jester thing in front of me, um, just in a flash, you know. And I was looking up in this DMT. I, I recognized the realm because I've been there hundreds of times through psychedelics, you know. But this time I was in front of something and it was a, basically a giant it looked like a jester. It had horns like a jester's hat, but its head was actually just shaped like that. It wasn't wearing any clothes. It wasn't wearing a hat or anything of the sorts. Its body was human-like, but angular, sharp, strange, you know. It had this huge, wide smile. Like, it, it was thin-lipped and went all the way to the top like this. And um, mm. it was purple-lipped as well. And its eyes were golden and, like, large golden eyes, you know, just glowing. And it had little golden things wisping around its body. And I realized from my perspective, you know, if I focused on them, they were like vehicles of some kind that were manned. It was very bizarre. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like this old painting and mm -hmm. it shows in the background, like a little man in this like orb vehicle kind of whipping through the background. And it's like a, a medieval painting or something. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what it is, <laughs> but we've covered this. Uh, I think it reminded me of that. I yeah. was seeing a lot of that going on around this thing. And, um, and then just as soon as I saw it and looked up at it, I, I was back. I was just back mm. in, in my room, you know, and that stuck with me. You know, I didn't know what to make of that. Um, I just thought I had a DMT flashback. It's just something that kind of happens if you've done a lot of psychedelics. Your brain just randomly switches sometimes and you're there for no reason and back all of a sudden. And I thought that's what – I just put it down to that. I didn't think anything of it at the time, you know. Yeah. But you just – again, you don't forget these type of experiences. So course, it's just yeah. always, always there. Um, I, had a, I had this nightmare where I was chased by a, a Hatman entity, another prolific demonic entity that people are haunted by all over mm -hmm. the world. I knew nothing about this hat man until after my experience. So I went researching after I had my dream where I was being chased by this trench coat wearing, fedora hat wearing, glowing eyed shadow entity with like multicolored ribbons just flying all over his body, you know, all in every direction. And um, that experience again stuck in my mind. Um, and then something happened in 2016 where there was suddenly this, this mass clown sightings happening all over the place. Right. And yeah. I remember like, that. you know, scaring people on street corners, dressed like a clown acting all menacing, you know, and it was multiple videos being released on social media. Some of them may have just been people acting. Some of them may have been serious people catching them on the street corner, you know, but what got me is that the media was showing it to us. Mm -hmm. And obviously I was quite well versed by this point. You know, I've been in the, the, the game for a good few years, you know, into conspiracy and I knew that the media would not show us something unless they were trying to say something symbolically. It's all controlled and orchestrated. They wouldn't pick up the story and put the camera on it for us to see unless there was a purpose. And um, because obviously as an artist, you know, I have a degree in fine art. This whole channel I made was a result of looking at conspiracy theories. And that was my final project, you know, and I, I just had this pattern recognition thing going on, you know, and it was all... I could recognize symbols when I see them. 
And I thought there's something about the clown. It's everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. What is it about it? Why is it so prevalent in media? Why is it coming out? What was this film that was released, released called uh, The Clown like in 2014? Everyone in the meme sphere is referring to the world at this point as the clown world, you yeah. know, and it's kind of, it's just in the consciousness of mankind at that time. You know, I think Trump was about to be elected into president and it was just a, it was just a crazy time period. It was the rise of the social justice warrior, multicolored head. I call it the multicolored collective. You know, yes. that's, that's, what I refer them, that's what I refer them as because I don't think it's a, it's not a political thing. It's a spiritual right. thing, I believe personally. And I do believe there's like a, a demonic element to it. And as the demons are described as legion, I'm kind of referring to them as something like a collective of some kind, like a hive mind demonic legion. So anything that comes under the umbrella of extreme left-wing liberal, and that's a big umbrella, you know, there's a lot of factions that even eat each other alive within that. I would oh, call 100%. It, you know, know. I, I agree with you. I just want to interject yeah, here for a minute because we, it, this is so weird is, you know, you'll call the people like us would say, this is, this is a really demonic movement. There seems to be something beyond be, behind the whole, they, them thing and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That feels like they're just telling you they're, they're accepting entities into themselves, calling themselves different names, talking about themselves as if there's more than one there, the I am Legion thing. And then I started looking into this for pride month this year. We did a bonus unhinged episode on our Rockfin channel and on locals. And what I realized is it took me about five seconds on TikTok to realize all of these thought leaders for the LGBTQIDGAF community to be saying like, here's how you worship Ishtar. Here's how you worship this transgender goddess of Mesopotamia. Uh, mm-hmm. And I noticed how many of their organizations were named after Ishtar and named after demonic entities. It was like, again, I didn't have to look for it. It took two seconds of, of being on TikTok and seeing what it is that's kind of brainwashing the younger generation to go, oh, this stuff is not subtly demonic. It's very overtly demonic. Only if you have the eyes to understand the language right, of symbols. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the majority of people involved with it, they, they, just, they just don't know. They haven't mm-hmm. got a clue. Like, um, it goes way over their head, you know. But right. for someone like us, again, who's just seeped in this this information that we can't forget, unfortunately, you know, that's it. Yeah. Now, once you know, you know, type of thing. Um, it, to us, it is just a, an obvious deception you know it's, right. it's obviously an agenda of some kind and it's clearly inspired by the demonic yeah absolutely you know so we can talk about that actually it's, it's a topic i never really get to touch on this whole multicolored collective angle and with, with it being a podcast rather than my youtube channel i might get away with saying a lot more than i'm usually you, you can say today. you can say anything you want on this channel for sure because this is thing I'm, I, I i hazard to talk about that group um, right. through fear of being silenced basically it's not a topic i'm allowed to mm. actually include in my theory um without running the risk of losing everything. That's basically, unfortunately, how protected that class is. Understood, Um, understood, yeah. But we, No, you can say anything you want on this show and just a little bit about, I don't know how familiar you are with Conspiracy Pilled, but um, Abby and I are both Christians. We're both, you know, conservative, what you would say in America. I know it's different in in Great Britain, Uh, but these are subjects, yeah, we have no problem talking about. And in fact, we get into quite a bit. Before before you go to the multicolor collective thing, you said something a few minutes ago, and I'm sorry, I just I want to go back to it really oh, quickly oh, 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 yeah. before yeah, we yeah. move on. Uh, you said when you saw this DMT jester that it had these orbs around it that you said felt like ships, or, or I just want to make like, sure it's I was like a that one right. like a one man vehicle. Mm-hmm. They they could fly. Do you know it, what I mean? Yeah, sure. they were like they were golden. They shimmered and like had like a stream coming behind them as they traveled. You know, they were like. Like flies buzzing around a human, 
this thing yeah. was a giant and they were buzzing around it in their little vehicles and it, and it was so, such a bizarre vision i don't you know i don't know what to make of that aspect do you, do you think it that in any way it could be related to things like the foo fighters which is uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the foo fighters but towards the end of world war ii uh, American pilots started, well, American, British, and then we found out later German and Japanese pilots were seeing these glowing orbs kind of shooting through the sky, these maybe one man, you know, we don't know what was in them, but they were kind of the original UFOs really even before the term UFO was coined in 1947. And just and, in my mind, when I hear about like glowing orb-like things zooming around, that that's where my mind goes back to. It could be, you know, and, yeah. and your guess is as good as mine on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just one bizarre element of the experience. I, I don't sure. forget, but I have no explanation for that. What, sure. what The most important thing I took from it was it looks like a giant jester. It looks like a huge mm-hmm. wide rigged clown. You know, that was the, the first thing I took from it with this black and white striped pattern specifically, you know. Absolutely. And uh, um, the black and white pattern is a theme all throughout my research, which keeps cropping back up. Um, it seems this to is, be uh, Freemasonry as well, right? You have the black Absolutely. and white checkered floors. Yeah. That's included too, yeah. But then you have the Hayoka Kachinas of the um, the Lakota and Dakota peoples of the American Plains, mm-hmm. and they have their um, Thunder God, um, which when people and they have the assigned people within their tribes to dress up like the Hayoka Thunder God, and it's this black and white fractal striped being, you know, right. um, and that it's it's a just a joker entity it's allowed to mock the, the tribe and does everything backwards and it's like a, a social commentary on on doing the wrong thing in society it's it's a literal gesture you know it's just yeah. it's just a bizarre connection you know that you see repeated as an aesthetic in all tradi- folk traditions all over the earth which is what a lot of my work is kind of showing over and over again that wherever you get ancestor worship um what they're talking about on nephilim they're not talking yeah. about grandma or granddad they're talking about the people they believe created their civilization and culture, the culture builders, the um, mm-hmm. the ones who built their societies, the ancient dead kings and rulers of their society. And these are the Nephilim that they're referring to. And whenever they want to evoke the Nephilim, they dress like the Nephilim and they all have their own way of doing it. But you'll find they're all extremely similar or have a similar thread running through the way they decide to color themselves up and the most common being whiting the skin up as much as they can uh, red polka dots is really common some kind of red headdress of some kind um, whether it be feathers or with actual straw of some kind um, they would and that's basically the base you know and the red nose is actually really common as well a red nose paint um, and they are dressing like something that they want to possess their bodies you know mm-hmm. the, the demons have free reign in these cultures because these cultures believe in them and they want to work with them and they want them to be possessed within them. Um, but in the West, because we're highly Christianized, they have to remain hidden. It's too obvious right. for us, you know, yeah. and um, the more subtle about the way they kind of interact with humans here in the West, which is why the clown was kind of invented as a way to get people to dress in a way that would evoke the spirit within them without them even knowing about it. So it gives the demons kind of access into the Western world, into the Western culture, which is highly anti-demon in a way. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of ingrained into our culture. Um, but you get these other cultures all around the world where they're like, yeah, ancestor spirits, come into me now. I'm open, do it. You know, it's this a completely is, different world. Yeah. Th- this is Baron uh, Samadhi. Or some, I don't know how that's said, right? In voodoo, right? Is they would dress specifically like him to yes. evoke that that spirit. And it wasn't hidden. Whereas like you said, in the West, we have to, they have to be a bit more subtle. Because uh, nobody Absolutely. really wants to come out in, in a Western world and be like, well, it's changing. I think that's actually what is happening now. But 
before nobody wanted to come out and just be like, no, I'm trying to invoke demons. I'm trying to dress like them and I'm trying to appease them. I'm trying to worship them through my ancestor worship. But do you think that's changing? Do you think that's becoming more open? Because the thing that I'm noticing is that all the stuff that used to be taboo and weird and spiritual and it's like, oh, that's not really demonic. Now it's like, yes, it is, but it's good actually. It's kind of like the new approach that we're seeing. I think as people that get further away from God, yeah, they're still looking for some form of spirituality. Yeah. And they are willing to believe that there are benevolent and malevolent spirits in the spirit realm they can communicate with and gain wisdom from, mm-hmm. then believe that there is a creator of everything. So they will turn to these spirits for some form of connection to something divine. But they're going to be led down a dark path, unfortunately, because there are no good spirits in that realm. That's not how it works. Um, there's this misconception that a lot of people who do psychedelics have where they believe they're going to a special place that's better than our world. They have this perception that, you know, when you take DMT, you're seeing this this hyperspace or something, or the astral plane, you know, it's this place where that is where consciousness resides and, and is king, you know, and it's better than being trapped in this physical flesh prison, you know, that keeps right. our souls in a limited perception, a very Gnostic way of viewing creation, God's creation, you know, as a negative problem. And there's a lot of that programming going on to make people believe that life is pain and misery and suffering and what cruel and evil God would put us in these decaying bodies type of thing. And what we need to do is free ourselves from the body and become the the light beings we were always meant to be or something, some nonsense like that. But that's Luciferianism yeah. at its core. You know, you will be as gods. That's Luciferianism that. and Gnosticism are just the same name. It's yeah, the same, same, same thing yeah. under different names. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we've talked about that a lot with like the prison planet idea and how that's where the Anunnaki stuff is really at when you follow it down down the rabbit hole. What I find interesting is with the DMT stuff, it's the same as all the other things. They have these. The way I like, and I don't know if you ever seen the movie Mission Impossible Two. Maybe maybe I saw the second one. Yeah. The idea, the idea is that uh, they would create the villain and they would create the hero. Right? It's other other movies have done this. Uh, but they would create the villain, they would create the hero, and then you would rush to the hero when you saw how bad the villain was. And I just, in my mind at least, this is what I'm seeing in the DMT stuff where it's like, oh, I could have a good trip or a bad trip. So that way you think that when you're visiting this this jester entity that maybe it's the good one and you start worshiping the good one. It's it's true with aliens where it's like, oh, the Pleiadians are the good guys, even though they yeah. historically are the ones who gave Hitler technology. Uh, but the lizard people are the bad guys. So you avoid the bad and you run towards the good, but it seems, I mean, it's Gnosticism all over again right is they're they're setting up the bad guy to give you your hero as long as it's not god as long as it's not the creator of this universe as long as it's not jesus it is i feel like they do that on purpose do you do you see that being a thing with the with this stuff absolutely it's it, it it's problem reaction solution first of all is how they've mm-hmm. always done it they create the problem the people react they offer the solution and gnosticism's the overarching plan of luciferianism is to create a world that seems so satanic and messed up that things have to change, you know, and then they have this new age kind of Christianish religion, mm-hmm. they, you know, just to fool the Christians as well. They're, they're kind of Christianizing it a little bit, but it's this Gnostic principle of the demiurge and that the true God is, you know, the grand architect of the universe. So they, they do, they are willing to mention that there is a great creator of everything, but it's not God. It's not right. the, the God of the Bible. Um, and this is what the Antichrist is all about. This, yeah. this false savior will appear on the scene to solve all of our problems but then death and destruction will come afterwards. You know, it's, it was, it was a trap all along. It's kind of, it was a deception from the very beginning. 
Um, so yeah, you're going to see the world become incredibly dark and then you're going to see some kind of player come onto the world stage that is going to be spiritually charged. It's going to yeah. bring a new wave of spiritualism to humanity, which will uh, satisfy for a short period those who are craving something to fill that hole in their heart, which what they need is the Holy Spirit. But this false spirit that's going to come will fill them instead. And it's essentially a revealing, or um, it's kind of as it was in the days of Noah, yeah. So will it be in the coming? It's it's going to be that situation. And what was happening in the days of Noah is that the Nephilim were around, and also the humans who corrupted their DNA were also kicking about at that time as well. You know, the um, the mixing of flesh happened as described in Joshua chapter two, verse fourteen, I think, or was it four, verse twelve, or something like that. And it explains, you know, those, hu- yeah. <laughs> human being human beings basically mixed themselves with animals and mm-hmm. became hybrids, hybrid creatures. You know to be like the Nephilim. They were trying to emulate something. They wanted to be, they didn't want to be human anymore. They wanted to be something else. And we're going to see something like that happen. Could it be transhumanism? Could it be offering some kind of robotic body to transfer our consciousness into or something? Some false promise will be made that's supposed to make us better, better than what we currently are. But I do believe it's all kind of a ruse to create vessels for the Nephilim spirits, which are on the other side of that veil and never left to get back into our world, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. We've, we, we covered this before in the, in the UK in 2008, a story came out about how they were making human animal hybrids in a lab and how that they were living and they were able to keep them alive, but don't worry. They were, they were destroying <laughs> them after eight weeks. And we're supposed to believe that yeah. that's the thing. Uh, a story came out of Israel this week that they made a human embryo out of, uh, nothing. Essentially they mm-hmm. created a, what I think is a, a Nephilim, uh, ves- vessel that, that those spirits can come into. Um, they're talking about uh, lab babies. They're talking about uh, we, we've seen it on Netflix. What was that show where it was like the human animal hybrids? Uh, it was just in the oh. last year. I I didn't watch all of it. I watched like the first episode. But I can't remember what it's called, but I, I, yeah. the image is there burned in my mind. I remember seeing it. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely remember. prepping the world for exactly what you're talking about. Some type of non-human yeah. vessel uh, for uh, for these nephilim. And most media today is viewing yeah. them in a positive light. It's, it's sympathy, sympathy for the devil is the programming right now. You know, yeah. you, you see these, these are misunderstood creatures that will be treated as an oppressed class when they appear. And we just need to be tolerant and open of this new species and, and accept them into our society as the loving and multicultural, peaceful people that we are as humanity, you know, and it's kind of accept these abominations into the world. But, um, and just like as the Nephilim first appeared, they were accepted and loved initially. Mm-hmm. They were the heroes of old. They very quickly turn. And that's what happened in the past, and it's how it's going to go down again, basically. The roadmap, nothing new under the sun. The roadmap's already played out. So these hybrid things might appear in the future and have superpowers. They'll be the heroes of the day, you know, they'll, and they may do amazing things, and they might, might encourage us to want to be like them and mess with our own DNA to be like these gods in some way. Is that not what Marvel is in, in its entirety? <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's that, all that like this person, you're like spider person, like let's do a, a hybrid mix yeah. with the DNA. And, and now it's just aliens, like straight up aliens are like the heroes of, of oh, the Marvel yeah. movies. Yeah. I, I think all, all those movies are programming to get people right. wanting or willing to take this genetic manipulation when it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't it be cool to be able to fly? It's, it's, it's kind of preparing people to want to be like that. You go to any Comic-Con convention, you can see there are thousands of people prepped and ready with that programming to go when it goes down. You know, <laughs> They're willing to take it straight away and would, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's subtle, certainly. <laughs> A lot of people wouldn't realize that's what's going on because this is the, the, I suppose, the point of the clown. It's, it's just a bit of fun, right? 
Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, what, yeah. that's how it's seen. It's just entertainment. It's just a, it's just a laugh. You know, it's just some fun. It's just something I do in my spare time to entertain myself. It's not serious, you know. Um, but it's actually it's, it's much darker than people realize. You know, we're in the middle of a spiritual war, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, everything produced within the world is not for our benefits or to help us win that war. <laughs> that's just, it's sad, but it's kind of the, the state of the world as it is today. Um, in, in terms of the clown, um, you, you know, you talked about like Stephen King's It, for example. Uh, you'll find the, the clown actually in our society is, has been there for a long time. People mm-hmm. dressing like clowns in the media, um, in the music industry specifically. And you'll find those who have dressed like the craziest clown monsters have been elevated to the highest positions within these hierarchies of, of the industry. They, get, they become famous. They become the idols that get put in front of us. Um, one very famous, the most famous example of this would be um, David Bowie, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he's red hair, pale white skin, wild, shimmering. He had that Iggy Stardust character, you know, dressed in the craziest clothing, black and white fractal pattern lines, whatever it was. And he was elevated to be like a god in society through the industry. And that's because he is channeling entities that used to be revered as gods, the Nephilim. Yeah. By dressing like them, you know, he he didn't even hide the fact that he was channeling. I mean, when he was those characters, he was another person, and he even used his excuse. There was one time where he went off on a lot of like really anti-Semitic tropes and stuff in the media, and then he said, "Oh, that was just my character. That was just the thing that I was I was channeling. That was not me." And he was able to get away with it, saying like, "It's weird how that works, where it can be like it's bad, but it's also you know it's okay (laughs) because he was just demon possessed. I guess I don't know." He was just that he's just being a clown, you know, he's just yeah, acting yeah. smart, you can get away with it, you know. Yeah. But when people get to that big and to that part so much of the industry, you know, they are such a huge idol that mm-hmm. people worship, you can get away with anything. That's right. kind of how it ends up being, you know. And he's just one example of hundreds of thousands of of artists in every field, the art industry, mm-hmm. the music industry as well, the film industry, whatever it is. But um the more they dress with this typical white pale ghost skin thing with red lips and um, the, the more they get elevated and put in front of the public. And I, if that's not necessarily because the demon within them is helping them get famous, but there's certainly an industry which is run by people who work for the demons who will notice the artist and put them in front of people, you know? Yeah. Um, I think one, I keep seeing him in my feed lately um, and the pushing it on me is Youngblood, some singer called Youngblood. I've heard the name. Yeah, I'm not super hip with the with the. I do, I'm not either. Days. I'm not either. But I, <laughs> I just quickly did a cursory glance at him a couple yeah. of days ago, and they've got him in a dress, dressing mm. like a clown everywhere in photo shoots all over the place, and he's just pushing the usual garbage. His music's awful, you know, just like all of them are. Um, and he's, he's basically the messages in music today. I've noticed is. I'm a, I'm a pathetic loser outcast, and that's a good thing. That's mm-hmm. basically the message of most musicians today. You know, it's, it's good to be messed up. It's good to be a weirdo outcast loser in society and to be bad at everything. And that's yeah. what all the music seems to be singing about right now. And that's basically the consciousness of humanity is being led by these idols singing this pretty self-deprecating satanic message, you know. Right. Doja Cat is on the rise right now, and she's mm-hmm. literally dressing like a demon in a mu- new music video. Um, but you see a lot of outside of that music video, she's dressing like a clown quite a lot. She's paling her skin up. She's putting red lipstick all up and down her mouth randomly. And she's even been quoted as saying as, they made me famous mm-hmm. <laughs> while, while dressed like a clown. And it, 
it's subtle. You wouldn't notice it, but um, the clown is dressing like that. It's not a joking situation. It's what these ancestor cultures all over the earth know is a, is yeah. a sacred practice. You dress like it to be possessed by it. And we do it in the West and, and the public just don't recognize it because mm-hmm. we don't, we think clowns are just there for entertainment purposes. We don't know what it actually represents or means as a symbol, you know, but the people who utilize it do. It's a tool to them. And uh, the clown was purposefully invented for that reason in the West. Um, I go into the history of it on my channel. Maybe we can discuss that now just to kind of flesh this idea out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to say, do you miss the days when it used to be like you'd you'd watch the music video and you'd look for the subtle symbolism? And it was like you'd point it out and people like, eh, I don't know, it's a stretch. And now it's like yeah. Doja Cat just literally dresses like a demon in a bathtub full. Uh, Lil Nas X twerks on Satan's lap. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to Nicki Minaj, I think, is in a bed full of snakes talking about like having sex with Satan. Like now it's like not even subtle. And my thought on 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 change, at least, is that change happens slowly and then all at once. And that's why I think that's why everybody's so interested in these topics right now. And I think that's why they're so important, because we went from really subtle stuff. Uh, you know, you can pick the pick the litter. You know, anybody you could think of is like, oh, maybe there's this weird symbol in the background and there's these numbers. And maybe they're saying something in reverse. You know, the, the Beatles has some weird thing in Sergeant Pepper. And now it's, you know, like that Aleister Crowley, like in a in, in the background, in, in the, the background, the yeah, 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 just yeah, like these yeah, tiny yeah. little things. And now I it's remember. just like straight up. I am a demon. I am possessed by demons. I'm having sex with Satan and you should, too. So I find, yeah. but yeah, anyway, I just want to make that point, but yeah, but this is, this is the irony of it all. You know, they're doing it so blatantly, literally saying, yes, I worship the devil. He yeah. is real. It's real. I summon demons and channel them. That's why I'm famous. I sacri- mm-hmm. I drink blood. They're saying stuff like this. And then the Megan Fox is, said this like yeah, in and, an interview yeah. and the audience who watch yeah. it like, Haha, they're so funny. It's like, it's a joke to them. They, they mm-hmm. don't think they're being serious. They just think they're being edgy and witty and funny, like a, like yeah. a clown, like a joker, you know, and it's like, oh, they're not, they're not really, you know, cause God doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the devil. They're just kind of having a laugh to, to mess, piss off the Christians or something, you know, it's kind right. of, God. people don't see it as serious. They see it as satire. Mm-hmm. And in a way they kind of spin it as satire when they're doing it to kind of that plausible deniability type of thing. But, uh, they're serious. They're deadly serious, you know, and it's, they're kind of laughing at people. It's like, we're telling you, you don't even know. It's rebel. Even, you know? Yeah. It's revelation of the method 101. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, well, the thing is we're talking about the music industry now. Um, since entertainment has been co-opted by the Freemasons, this has actually always been the case. And this mm-hmm. is probably good to talk about the origin of the, of the modern Western clown, because sure. it's, kind of, it's kind of a good reflection of how even 200 years ago, what we see today was still happening then basically. So the, the modern clown has a, has a relatively new history in the West. Um, it, it realistically stems from the Comédie de l'Art movements, which came out of Rome and Greek theatre, which was around 500 AD when Rome collapsed. There was always a tradition before that in, Greek and, in uh, Greece and Rome where there was theatres and, and performances happening. And there was always kind of a, a, a clown-like character, but not in looks, just in attitude. Mm-hmm. Someone who would mock the actors on stage from the sidelines and the actors wouldn't hear the the person berating them and the audience would laugh at their expense and they'd break the fourth wall. There was always that kind of character, but uh, there was this period of time for like a thousand years where there wasn't really any performances happening after the collapse of Rome because of the whole excesses of Rome situation. 
Right. It was kind of frowned upon in the new Christianized European world to do that kind of stuff. It was all off the devil, you know what I mean? Um, but then there was a reemergence in like the 1500s, the 14, 1500s coming out of the medieval silence period where there were street performers that came from these Roman traditions out of Greece and traveled all over Europe called the Comédie de l'Art movement. And they were like roving performers who built a random stage in the middle of the town square, you know, the piazza or whatever, wherever it was. And then they'd do like a, a, a improv performance and then everyone would chuck money in a hat at the end or something like that, you know. And that's what they did. They traveled Europe doing this as far as Moscow to the, every everywhere you know these italians all over the place doing this thing and it got highly popular in france as a result as well in germany and you had people kind of joining these troops you had the first female actors join these things you know that's it was unheard of until that time and it was kind of a a counterculture to the heavy christianized world that was coming prior to it you know it was it was new and it's exciting for most people and you find the comedial arts had these stock characters which were basically the reflection of archetypes of the of society. The rich old man, the 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 young daughter of the rich old man, the soldier, you know, the the aristocrat or the servant, or just a stock basic archetypical character. And the, the interplay between them was where the comedy arose. And you find European kind of performance artists. You had things like jesters, courtly jesters, which is kind of where these. Roman performers had to find work after the collapse of Rome. They kind of became private performers for individuals, rich individuals. And that's where the court jester kind of became a thing. But you'd find the court jester kind of got amalgamated into these European shows as the devil character who would dress like the jester, but you would understand this is the devil, you know? Um, and then that devil character got incorporated eventually into this comedial art movement. And it became something known as Arlecchino. And it was very similar to this devil character that was in other lesser performances that weren't a part of this Comédie de l'Art troupe. So basically, there straight away, you can tell they've incorporated a character which was typically the, the literally the devil, like put into the Comédie de l'Art movements called Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that alone, the way Harlequin was dressed was nothing like this devil character, which is really on the nose, you know, big, long, red nose type of spiky ears, you know, I don't know, satyr's legs, you know, like a goat leg. It was That was too on the nose that this is the devil. The Arlecchino character wore a white, ragged, kind of loose-fitting garb with multicolored patches all over it, which were representing tufts of hair. And he wore this bizarre black mask that had like a lump here, like a horn. And what it was inspired by was the um, the European tradition of the wild man. So the wild man tradition is huge in Europe. It's all over Europe. Every And I talk about it a lot on my channel, but that's basically their Nephilim ancestor spirit ritual. Mm. They dress like the wild man. And it's this hairy, tall, monstrous, big teeth creature, basically. And a lot of representations of it are just like tall, hairy creatures with a big club over the shoulder. And specifically, it seems like this traveling troop picked up this tradition from each country they traveled into and realized everybody does it. Everybody has this like ritual around Lent period where they dress like this wild man and do loads of crazy stuff and revel in drink and partying before Lent. So they incorporated the wild man into this thing and they called it Arlecchino. Oh, oh, um, it's pronounced Harlequin in France, but it was okay. Arlecchino in, in Italy, in Italian. <clears throat> and it's based on a character called Helikins, which was actually a giant roving club wielding beast that supposedly was in the mythology of, of German folklore, um, which had a band of demons that would follow it around from village to village causing chaos, basically. 
based off this old um, story told by a, um, a, tenth, a 10th century monk who claimed to have witnessed them, you know, and it's in this yeah. old book. Um, so that it seems like Helikins is Harlequin. That's basically where they got the name from, and that's how they incorporated it into the Comedia dell'Arte movement. But that, the wild man itself is even older. It goes all the way back to Enkidu. We're talking the wild, hairy creature. I was, was about to ask you if it went back to Enkidu, because that's goes, what it made me think of, yeah. Well, funnily enough, there's a Gaelic text which recounts a lot of Old Testament stories, and it mm-hmm. recounts the story of Lamech and Tubal Cain killing um, Cain, you know, with, mm-hmm. the, with an arrow, thinking he was a wild, hairy beast. In the Gaelic terms... It's called uh, Hurley Cain, the Hairy Cain. Ah, okay. Hurley Cain yeah. is Harley Quinn as well. It's the same yeah. name for the same creature. Helly Kins is Hurley Cain. You know, um, Hurl the, Hearn the Hunter is a big British one as well, or the, the Green Man, or the Jack of the Green, or Robin of the Hood, the mm-hmm. British myths. They're talking about the same character that's kind of in the, the, the consciousness of this, this mythology of Europe, this wild man figure and that's who harley quinn is it's literally a quintessential bigfoot it's the wild man you know it's the big hairy creature that is not human it's the nephilim it's the giants you know so harley quinn is a nephilim creature it is coming out of the devil tradition of theater it represents Mm -hmm. the devil and it acted like one as well originally it would act almost inhuman in its movements it could do backflip somersaults like it was flying it had this stick which is the club of the wild man, but it was also like the Caduceus of Mercury or the oh, first okay. Dionysus. You know, it was this magical wand that could slap the ground and change the scene of the play instantly. It had magical powers. It was a demon. It was a powerful entity like the devil who had the power to manipulate reality, basically. And he would mimic like masturbation with the stick and penetrating people. It was rude. It was crude. It was the first kind of proto real clown, if you get what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. And as the years went on out of the 1600s, it would develop and change its character. Okay, so it would become more of the, the doting love interest of Columbine, the daughter of the rich man. And the comedy would come from Harlequin chasing after this woman trying to get her affections. And the clown was the servant of the rich man trying to stop Harlequin from getting with the daughter of the rich man. That's where the comedy would arise. The clown trying to stop the Harlequin from getting with the woman because mm. the clown wants to help his master not have his daughter end up with this idiot. That was the play basically, you know, and sure. the, the, it was kind of a routine that became a staple of the Harlequinades with the Camille de l'Art movement. Um, but his character stopped being this witty devilish thing and he became this doting, bumbling fool. And clown started to actually become more like the original Harlequin. He started acting more like a devilish figure in, and in the 1800s, you'll find in the build-up to literally 1800, this is when it happened. So the 1700s up until this key moment of the turn of that uh, particular century, there was an actor called Joseph Grimaldi in Britain who was doing pantomimes, which come out of the Comedia Lart tradition. So they was the Harlequin stock characters, but they were called pantomimes in the UK. And he was so brilliant as a performer. People loved him. He was like the, one of the most famous performers of the era as the clown. He just brought the clown to life in the, as a stock character. People loved it. It was hilarious, you know, and he could do so many things. He could just somersault and, and tumble all night without even losing a, a skipping a beat. And then he'd run to another theater within 10 minutes and do the whole performance again. Do you know what I mean? He was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like a serious performer of the day, loved by everybody. And the clown became the lead because of him. He took over from Harlequin. 
But funnily enough, the clown character was basically how Harley Quinn originally was. It just mm. became Harley Quinn with a different name. And that's um, when everything changed in the 1800s. It, um, Joseph Grimaldi worked for a Freemason called Charles Dibden. And um, he owned the Sadler's Wells Theatre at the time where he worked in London. And um, Charles Dibden decided to make a costume change and change the entire tradition of something that had been going on for 400 years. He changed the way they dressed. It never, it's never happened before. These were stock characters who all wear masks and have the same outfits. It never changed. But Charles Dibden decided, no, we're going to change the outfits for this one particular performance in the 1800s. And he invented the clown costume as it is today. This psychedelic colored trippy thing you know that clowns typically were you know with the puffy shoulders and everything and the multicolored patterns polka dots all over the place and the wild crazy hair you know he a freemason invented that image mm. uh, traditionally the clown would just dress in basic white boring servant garbs nothing special just tatters you know but now it became this psychedelic monster so the Freemasons had their hand in that creation of that monster. And um, people call clowns today Joey's, based after Joseph Grimaldi. Joseph Grimaldi is like the patsy who gets attributed to creating the modern white-faced clown. He's the king of clowns, you know. Everyone always says it's him who did it. And all he really did was just paint his face white and put a bit of makeup on him. The costume was actually invented by Charles Dibden, this Freemason boss of his. And the Harlequin's character, that's when he starts wearing a really skin-tight leotard with diamonds. That's when the Harlequin became that character in that time period. And from then on, the clown just became this superstar. Mm. And that's when clowns became highly popular in this new style. And the style never changed from that day. It only got more psychedelic and weird up until today. Um, but it all started from a Freemason making a costume change and basically changing history at that moment. Um, popularized by a performer that everybody idolized. So it's kind of, it was normalized into the conscious of the public by a Freemason controlling the entertainment industry, just as it happens today. I was going to say, it sounds just <laughs> like today, yeah. It's no different. Yeah, it's, it, they co-opted uh, performing arts. Mm -hmm. They inserted the symbol into it, the clown, because people at the moment were idolizing a particular character where they could utilize him. They could use him to forward their agenda, and they did the, just that. They dressed him like one of their gods, the Nephilim. Um, I believe the Freemasons of the time were traveling men. They were all over the earth and they were seeing ancestor spirit cultures right. worshiping the Nephilim. They saw how they all dressed in their own ways. I believe they took elements from all these cultures and made a clown, made the image of a clown, you know, and then dressed one of these famous actors like it to popularize it into the consciousness of humanity. And it also gave them a way to dress like the gods that they worship in public without people realizing that that's what's going on basically, because it's through the entertainment industry. People think it's all just for entertainment purposes. There's nothing nefarious about it. Um, so after this, um, circuses became a thing. In the early 1900s, there was um, American circuses kind of became a huge big deal, all run by Freemasons. The Barnum and P.T. Barnum and Bailey, you know, um, all the Ringling Brothers were Freemasons. And they made a combined circus show, which was King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Everything about it was orchestrated by Freemason-affiliated companies. All the actors were dressed in clothing made by companies who made all the clothing for lodges for their rituals. It was all mm. a Freemason production with clowns, basically. And um, you'll find they really highly popularized the clown in that period through the circus. But it's, it's well understood that these circuses were actually just recreating the rituals performed within lodges. 
all orchestrated by the ringleader or the hat man, let's say. Right. Um, in a grand Freemason lodge, the only person allowed to wear a black top hat is the grand worshipful master of the lodge, the orchestrator of the ritual, the ringmaster. And the that ringleader, is yeah. In a circus, you have the same character, the ringmaster wearing his black top hat, orchestrating the ritual of the circus performance. Demons, summoning demons in a lodge, summoning demons in an even uh, grander scale in this performance art called a circus performance. But the public don't know that that's what they're watching. They think it's just entertainment for the kids. But those who are initiated, who have the eyes to see the symbols and are initiated into the occult mystery schools, they see one of their lodge's performances happening on a grand public scale. Yeah. You know, and the bigger the performance, the bigger the ritual, the more powerful it actually is. So it was an excuse, basically, to publicly do their rituals dressed like demons, and people wouldn't even realize it. It's very, very sneaky, yeah. very clever, you know, and it's still happening today. The clown is still used in all performance arts industries as a way to venerate the Nephilim, basically. And it all yeah, stems. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, mass, the mass rituals that the, the, the public are going to now are just things like Travis Scott concerts and Beyonce concerts and Taylor Swift. In fact, I, I had a lot of Christian friends who were, were arguing with me that the Travis Scott concert doesn't constitute, uh, does, doesn't, is not a ritual. It's not a satanic ritual. Even though when you entered, you had to walk through something. It's like, welcome to the gates of hell, and you had to enter through a portal. And people, you know, like the whole thing, we haven't done an episode on it to like go through all the symbolism, but it just keeps popping up the, the, all the symbolism in these concerts. It just seems like the same exact thing. These Freemason controlled mass rituals that the people are excusing away as entertainment. And it doesn't matter that people are getting possessed. It doesn't matter that I don't know. Did you see that video? Uh, I think it was Beyonce. It was within the last few weeks where there's a group of people standing in front of the stage and all of a sudden something smacks into them, like something invisible and just knocks down an entire group of people. Like I did see burst that. Of, yeah. I saw people trying to justify it as like one, one when one person falls over, yeah, it creates, it's not one, yeah, it's it not creates a domino effect, but it's like, no, that, that those people were like just swept away. You know yeah. what I mean, that wasn't, yeah. I don't think that was by people falling over. You know, I've been to festivals. I've seen people fall over before. I've never seen that happen. You know, right. I've never yeah, seen yeah. it cause such an effect before, but that was, yeah. that was bizarre. But these are huge, we have, they have an altar. It's called the stage, you know, and everyone's direction, uh, attention is pointed towards the idol in the center of the altar. You know, these these rituals are are ancient. It's mm-hmm. just today, it's it's master's entertainment. You know, right. like I said, the, the image of a of a clown is actually ancient. At the end of the day, you know, it's just now masked under the guise of entertainment in the West. Um, but if you go to like um, Australia. And, you know, if you look at the one Gina spirits, um, they look just like a clown. I mean, literally, they are a clown in outfits and everything with a big red afro and white skin and a red nose. But these are sacred creation spirits to their ancestor spiritual culture. I've just finished making a video on it, which I'm uploading mm-hmm. tomorrow, actually. Um, but they, they take it so seriously that nobody is allowed to paint a one Gina other than a member of the tribe. It's considered extremely disrespectful, like extremely disrespectful. You know, these these symbols, like like a clown, are ancient. They mm-hmm. are, and in our culture, it's irreverent. It's a joke, but outside right. of our culture, it's sacred. It's the deadly serious about it. It's not a laughing matter. The image of a clown to like, let's say, the Kimberley region, Aboriginal people of West America, West Australia, very serious. You know, um, and that's just one example of hundreds all over the earth and every continent with their own aesthetical cultural spin on the situation. But it's um, no, that they are, they are sacred spirits. 
Right. And the through line that you're saying is that these things all had the pale white skin and, and not like me. People say like, oh, PJ's got white skin and red hair. But you mean like paper white, like liquid paper white and like bright porcelain red white. porcelain yeah. white. Yeah. yeah. Deathly and this shows white. up everywhere. Vampiric white, yeah. chalk white. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And you'll find it's, it's the most common trait among all ancestor spirit worship. Uh, they white the skin up as much as they possibly can. That's yeah. the base. That's the base, you know, and then they add on top of that psychedelic feathers, multicolored patterns, ribbons is a good one. Morris dancers in the UK do something extremely similar to the Hatman vision I had with mm-hmm. all the ribbons flying off. They coat themselves in multicolored ribbons. But then if you go to, um, I think it's called Phyto Con, it's um, the, a ritual of the dead in Thailand. And it's basically, they dress up like ancestor spirits, demons, and they have these masks on with huge teethy, horrible, sharp, mm-hmm. white teeth grins and these huge evil demonic eyes and these horned hats. But they dress themselves in multicolored ribbons. The same thing Morris dancers do in the UK. Cultures utterly separated by continents and seas yeah. and, and distance. What? But the exact same aesthetical look because they're all worshipping and venerating the exact same spirits who all do look the same. There's some, I do believe the Nephilim have variations in the way they look. Sure. It's like snakes. If you, you know, they're all serpent-like beings, but you look at the snake species and there's many kinds of snake with different looks and, you know, and patterns, but they're all of the same kind. And that's what we're seeing in these cultures, representations of the same kind of being, just with slight variations. And it, it is a result of serpentine seraphim angels, feathered mm-hmm. serpents. What's an angel, but a, a feathered winged thing, you know, but they were right. said to have the visage of a viper. You know, it was described in the um, the book of Amran from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the vision that was had of, of Belial, it's known as, which is basically Lucifer, the seraphim angel, is that it had a face like a viper and, mm-hmm. it, like, it, and it had like the skin pattern of an adder which is a black and white, big, wide grin, flat, sharp, eyed, pointy monster, basically. <laughs> um, imagine that mixing with a with a human. You know, I was going to say, do you think um, like specifically Chinese uh, versions of dragons are kind of what we're talking about here, like or Quetzalcoatl or things like that? Yeah. Well, you, wherever you see a dragon represented yeah. in any culture, they're talking about the fallen angels. Right. The seraphim fallen angels. Yeah. The watchers. Yes. And mm-hmm. I believe they, could, they can take many forms. They don't have to just be a dragon form. Right. They're spirit, fundamentally. You know, they are powerful spirits, and they can take any form they want in our world. They, they are outside of our world and in it at the same time. The beings of heaven, you know what I mean? Um, I, their children are flesh. They're different. I got, I got yeah. something crazy for you, because I know you cover a lot of different stuff. You've covered Marvel and all these different... Uh, and what, You did say earlier you wanted to talk about the Rainbow Coalition, which I want to get back to in a minute. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I, 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 people on my channel will know this, and maybe by the time this episode comes out, uh, I'll have done a video on it. But I've been talking about uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda game, a little bit. Okay. And in Tears of the Kingdom, right from the beginning, you walk into Gilgamesh's tomb, and he's resurrected, and it's exactly like uh, you know what happened in Iraq and stuff like that. And then the very next thing you learn is that the Anunnaki slept with women a long time ago and created this super race. And, uh, there's this whole as above, so below message. That's all throughout the game. There's the, the, you know, sky beings that come down, mate with the human women. There's the underworld and things that happen in the underworld effect going on up and all of this stuff. But what's crazy is I just got to the part of the game. Spoiler. If anybody wants to, you know, where you realize that some of these things are being represented, some of these Nephilim are, or Anunnaki or whatever they call them are being represented as dragons, as Chinese dragons. And in fact, they can transform between dragon and human. 
Yeah. And I just, I find all the symbolism in this game just insane that it is just the same story. It's the Anunnaki story, the Nephilim story, whatever you want to call it, Gilgamesh, it's all in there. And it's all pointing back to the same Gnostic heresy that these things are good, actually, that these fallen angel watchers sleeping with the humans was good. They created this perfect civilization, this wonderful civilization. I think this is represented in Tartaria, which we just did an episode on that that same thing comes through when you go far enough into what people are saying about it. And I'm just noticing it literally everywhere. It's like our culture is being saturated in this one message. And the one message I think is that we are entering into the days of Noah and that the world in and of itself is calling it good. Yeah. Well, just, just so your audience know, I described yeah. the plot of Zelda. Okay. Basically. Oh, you do. I didn't see your video on it. Darn it. No, no, no. Well, I watch what it. I'm saying, what I'm saying is just then in our conversation, before you even mentioned it to me, I basically yeah. described Zelda's plot, didn't I? Yeah, I've, you never did. seen that. You did. I've never seen that game. I've never oh. played that game. I knew nothing about it until you just said it. I knew yeah. of the legend of Zelda who doesn't know the name. Right. Of the I know game. what you mean though. But yeah. I've never played it. You know, I've always been more yeah. of an Xbox guy. I'm not really into Nintendo. Let's put it that way. You know, <laughs> but, like, I, <laughs> but I didn't say that story because I've seen it in a video game. It's the same I'm tell- story. I'm telling you the story because that's yeah. our history. That's mm-hmm. the truth, you know, and that's the biblical narrative that a lot of people don't realize you know, and you can get mixed up in the Anunnaki perspective, which I believe is a creation story because people say, you know, the Anunnaki created the humans as a slave race is what they say, isn't it? Right. That's what they say. Um, yeah. I believe what you're actually in that context, you're actually seeing the creation of the Nephilim. It's the yep. Nephilim creation myth is the Anunnaki myth. It's mm-hmm. their religion for them, you know, not for us type of thing. Just right. like, um, I believe the reincarnation religions on Nephilim religions for mm-hmm. their way of life, not humans. We would don't. You, really- would you mind explaining that? Because I've brought up this this concept a few times on the show, and I know people like Ellie Marzuli and Rob Skiba have talked about it. But just really quickly, what? Why is the the uh, reincarnation stuff Nephilim? It's be- it's because their souls are here on Earth, constantly yeah. being recycled after death. And what they do is they inhabit bodies. Okay, they don't have bodies anymore. They w- they were wiped out before the flood. Um, as a punishment, the fallen angels had to watch their children, so the Nephilim, kill each other. That was the punishment. And these were over petty power squabbles and struggles. And they even turned on the watchers, the parents, and tried mm-hmm. to kill the angels because they wanted to be the only rulers on the earth. They didn't like having angels or gods above them, you know, the parents, basically. So the parents had to kill their own children and watch their own children kill each other, trying to be on top, trying to be number one, basically. Um Sorry, let me plug my laptop in. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. This is really good stuff. I don't want it to die. Yeah, so that context laid. You know, they 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 killed each other off. Um, there were still children of the Nephilim around, the Nephilim mm. and the Elio. So the Nephilim also mated with women, basically, and created right. even smaller versions of themselves. And the, the bloodline got more diluted. Um, but the Nephilim basically died, and the flood pretty much wiped out the majority of the remnants of it, including the humans who had messed with their own DNA as well. They were pretty much wiped out. Full reset happened. Noah kind of tried to restart humanity in, in as they should have been from there. But there was still some corruption that made it through in small ways, but the infrastructure was destroyed. You know, right. They were no longer the kings and rulers of the earth after that day, after that event. But their spirits are not breathed into them by God like right. we are. They're not of heaven. They're not meant to be, basically. And they're still they're of the earth, and they're still here on the earth. So when their body died, the spirits remained. Right. You know, the body dropped dead, but they still stood there in spirit form, basically. You know what I mean? And we couldn't see them anymore. 
you know and I, i've heard people reference that the rainbow after the flood was a reference to our vision from now on will be limited to the spectrum of the rainbow so we can't see them anymore so we okay. can't perceive the i never heard that but that's interesting it's an interesting concept i don't know if yeah. that's true but it's just right. interesting tidbit throw it in there maybe that's sure. why that happened you know maybe that's what the covenant was really about you know i set a rainbow in the sky to say that you know you're safe now and i'm not going to flood the earth again because the nephilim have been dealt with basically and so you're not dabbling in the spirit realm and seeing them constantly and they're still messing with you mm -hmm. you can't see them anymore your perception's limited you know and that's what drugs do they open up your perception they right. allow more information in more light and then you can see the spirit realm um, but that's where they are now they're in the place people go to when they do dmt mm -hmm. disembodied and it's described um when Jesus casts out a demon, it says they wander in dry places. They hunger and thirst, but they can't quench any of it because they don't have a mouth. They don't have a stomach. They don't have a vessel, a body to experience things with. They don't have senses anymore. They're essentially in hell. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, are, they hunger constantly and are in misery and pain and have no means to satisfy it. And you'll find in, in Asia, Eastern countries like Japan and China, they leave food as offerings to the hungry spirits. They have right. hungry spirit festivals, literally called that for that reason. And they, they have this giant Nephilim, serpentine, human, smiling, grinning monster thing in multicolored patterns and diamonds at an altar. And they leave stuff in front of it. You know? And I'm not joking. That's what they literally yeah. do um, because they worship them. Their cultures, they believe that the ancestors have built their brilliant civilizations. So they venerate them still. But these Nephilim spirits, they want a body. And this is what yeah. the possession phenomena is truly all about at the end of the day, you know, and they're here to get us whenever they can get into our body whenever they can. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's it. That's what it's all truly about at the end of the day. We are the prize, you know, and they don't, mm -hmm. they'll do anything they can to allow us to let them in, you know, right. and the major manipulation of making people dress like clowns is that actually opening gateways for them to come in. That's the whole point. So cultures do it willingly. In the West, we have to be tricked. We're fooled. So this is where the multicolored collective thing comes in. The main staple of these people who are part of these ultra left-wing liberal ideologies is they dye their hair some crazy color. They dehumanize themselves with piercings and tattoos in some way. They clown themselves up without realizing it. But what mm -hmm. they're truly doing there is opening themselves up to be more readily, easily possessed by the entities that look just like that, you know? Yeah. Wow. I could see it, man. It's, it's interesting that like, that is the thing that sticks out to people. And I think sometimes it sticks out to, to Christians in particular without them knowing why is the blue hair thing, like the, the, the crazy hair color thing. It's like of all the stuff that the, the LGBT IDGF community pushes, like that's the least weird of it. Right. But yet it, it sticks in our mind for some reason that there's something kind of weird and wrong about clowning people, clowning themselves up, right? Like, yes, there's the, the literal gender mutilation, genital mutilation stuff, which is disgusting, ritualistic nonsense. But that's not the one that like people latch onto as much, I guess. Do you think no. that, do you think that we're like recognizing something there uh, about the, the clowning? Yeah, the androgyny side of things is more yeah. fallen angel worship, I would say. Yeah. I think uh, they're described as sexless beings, but they can take any form they want and they can procreate right. with humans if they want to. But they're essentially beyond sex mm -hmm. as a gender thing. You know what I mean? Um, isn't, I do, isn't that the ultimate in, in the LGBTQ community at this point is to be an androgynous, genderless being? As, I mean, so, as androgyne as possible, yes. Yeah. The bathroom is often depicted as an yes. androgyne, half, half goat, half human, half male, female abomination, you know? Right. 
and it's the glorification of the the unhuman the dehumanization you know and that's what the nephilim are quintessentially a, a symbol of dehumanization you know the corruption of the creation of god that's what it's all about you know the Neph- the, the seraphim rebelled against god and corrupted mankind that, that's what they aimed to do from the very beginning with their rebellion through a refusal to bow down to adam basically yeah. They didn't. They didn't. They, they refused to do that. They were watchers among humans before Adam was selected and groomed, and they mm-hmm. were. They're going to be damned if they're going to bow down to these things that they are gods over. You know, right? So a third of the angels rebelled and basically made a pact to corrupt God's creation. So they right. mixed themselves with humanity to create this new race that would compete against God's race, and that's what it's kind of always, always been about in a way. You know, um, especially uh, at least the Old Testament is all about that. You know, the pre-flood Old Testament and the post-flood wiping out all the tribes of Canaan type of situation is about that seed line, that, that, that war. But people get really upset about that when I mention it because I had one guy saying, you're, um, by saying such a thing, you're saying God justifies killing people. <laughs> which I, is <laughs> you know and you're also saying that we should murder people who have serpent bloodlines today and that's not what i'm saying i think in a way we're probably all corrupt slightly yeah, due, right. to the, due to the initial incursion right At some level we're all now genetically a mess because of it we're not mm-hmm. as god fully intended which is the whole purpose of being born again right and being given new light bodies in the afterwards right it's kind of the, the, the need for a savior is necessary because of this situation, this whole corruption type of situation, you know, um, maybe we shouldn't get into theology right now. I'll just muddy everything. No, <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's yeah. good. Uh, I actually, there's two points on what you just said that are interesting is, yeah, we've talked about Genesis 14 and the Nephilim wars and stuff like that, where it's like, when you really understand the names of these different tribes, it is, it is telling you even num- numbers, what 1333 tells you that these were the Nephilim of the Nephilim, that they were a continuation of the Nephilim post flood. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the names, the Raphaim, the, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but when you understand the names and what they mean, it is telling you like, no, they're going around wiping out these, these Nephilim tribes. And that's yeah. what these wars are about. And I saw that video, um, that you're referencing <laughs> about the guy who said, oh, you want genocide and, and stuff like yeah. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, know, yeah. I, I saw it. We actually, we actually played it on our most, well, I, again, I know this will come out like a month after we record it. Cause me and Abby are going to be traveling when this comes out. So, um, but our Tartari episode we just did. We played that video at the end because the point I was making that I found interesting is that, and maybe you don't have an opinion on this, but I was curious to hear it. If you do, the Tartaria stuff seems like uh, in a way Nephilim worship. It's like there was this wonderful race of giants somewhere in Russia and they made an advanced, wonderful civilization and they were kings and we need that back. We want that Antiquitech back. We want those Nephilim rulers back and it was bad that we got rid of them. And the guy that was ragging, you know, dogging on you and spouting out a lot of really bad theology uh, was oh, yeah. his name was his name was uh was uh t- was something about about tartaria it was mud flood was apocalypse or mud flood was an armageddon or something like that yeah and i think I, I don't think that's an accident i think that these people are without realizing it trying to say no we actually want the we want the nephilim rulers back that's that's what i find at the baseline of like the, the deep down rabbit hole of tartaria is we want the nephilim rulers back I think it's all a matter of interpretation on the Tartaria stuff, personally, because um, there'll be other people, even in my own uh, Telegram group, who will be mm-hmm. screaming at you that, no, it's it was Christ's thousand-year reign. 
it was a thousand years. I've heard that. I've heard that too. Yeah. You know, and there's actually a lot of, there is just like there's a lot of compelling stuff for the Tartarian angle. There's a lot of compelling stuff for that view as well, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, Antelo Fomenko, who wrote the new chronology, who kind of wrote this based on, um, he's a suspect character. So I take it all with a pinch of salt. His artwork is extremely telling. He's a mathematician Mm -hmm. and he creates some real demonic stuff in his artwork representations of the spirit realm type stuff you know um dmt jesters coming through the 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 noise type of stuff um so i do wonder where he got his inspiration for the whole thing from in terms of our our history as a lie situation i think that we are relatively limited into what we can take from the dark ages as the known 100 percent. yeah right i don't know what happened there and i don't want to say with any authority what is but what i can tell is just like the flat earth movement the tartaria movement has made people weird it's created a whole sect of very weird people who have taken it extremely personally and Mm -hmm. made their entire life and identity about this one particular topic and you know i have a series um tips for truthers Mm-hmm. And I've been, I release it every week and um, I've been doing it to my patrons, but I'm now releasing them every week as like early access, kind of three months ahead. But my channel's always been this place where I've tried to tell truthers how to not look so crazy so you can convince more people of the stuff, basically. Yeah. And um, the, the issue is with the truth movement, for, this is what my channel was kind of first really about, you know, is you've got all the information, you've got the stuff people need to know. You're just terrible at handling the information yeah. and no one takes you seriously. You don't present it well enough and people don't listen because of it. They think you're crazy because you act crazy and you say things in a crazy way. And unfortunately, people buy people. They don't buy products. They buy the person selling them the product. That's just how people work. Uh, It's all based on trust. And if they Mm -hmm. don't like you, they're not going to care about the information you're telling them. And another problem is to somebody who's asleep, I don't like using these new agents. I know, I know. You know I, I mean? don't either, but there's sometimes it's like, what word do I use? Yeah, but for somebody who's just not aware, for example, and has there you go, yeah. they're focused in their own life, you know, mm-hmm. and, they don't, and then they hear, see you come along screaming about the Illuminati and everything's controlled and everything's, you know, uh, everything's a lie, basically, and you go on your half an hour to an hour long rant without letting them get a single word in edgewise about everything you've learned. They'll look at you and they'll think, this person's crazy. Yeah. I don't want to end up like them. So I am not going to look at whatever it is they have seen. Mm-hmm. And that's subconsciously what they do. And that's why they don't listen. That's why people never learn the truth. So my, my whole tact is, one of my tips is, don't get stuck on one subject like the flat earth or the Mandela effect or Tartaria, right. the new one. These things come and go and people plateau onto them and they never yeah. go any further. And everything from then on is seen through this lens, you know, um, and unfortunately, these particular topics are like a breed a new kind of crazy out of people mm-hmm. because they're so tautological in nature and they're so mind bendingly insane in their perspective shifting capacity, the way the earth is shaped, the way reality is being manipulated and changed from the quantum realm or how our entire history is literally a lie and the Christ has perhaps reigned for a thousand years or there's this ancient world that had super technology these are like paradigm shifting topics which change people and i do think as as researchers we need to be extremely careful with these these things because there is there are bad actors out there who are spreading misinformation on purpose and you you don't you don't know you weren't there (laughs) you know you don't know it's the truth you know at the end of the day like we have a good idea take it on board put it there as a possibility but move on 
Right. Look at the 100%. bigger picture. You know, look, that look. that is the thing with with Tartaria right now is the new one. Uh, I would say QAnon was this, and Flat Earth was this, and a couple Mandela effect is this for some people, where every single thing has to fit into the lens of this new conspiracy theory, right? And my my biggest issue isn't that they're not finding things that are interesting or worth talking about. It's that they have to shift everything else into it and fit them into this one overarching thing that's a little bit crazy on its base, and therefore the stuff that is interesting in this stuff. Uh, you know, there's, there's questions about star forts. There's questions about history, the dark ages. Uh, there's, there's questions about NASA. There's questions about, uh, you know, blood drinking pedophiles in Washington, DC. They're all interesting things that have some truth to them. But I think that people are making, making things that are worth talking about, making things that are actually interesting, seem insane. Yeah. I like, cramming them into this box that has to fit in. And I've yeah. noticed just reading the Reddit boards on anyone, take your pick, whether it's QAnon Reddit boards, whether it's Tartaria Reddit boards, what I've been into lately, uh, they'll say something like, oh, this piece of evidence doesn't fit my grand theory. Therefore, this piece of evidence has to change to fit the theory. Yeah. Uh, most recently it was, there was the Great Reset in 1865, but this building that seems to fit all the other criteria was built in 1952 Therefore, I have to change the date of the Great Reset. And now my grandparents were around before the mud floods. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Well, it's funny because I watched, I think his name is Iwa Channel. I think that's what he mm-hmm. goes by. Um, and he was originally a Tartarian mud flooder. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, he's gone back on himself now. And he's, he's made some great documentaries showing the evidences for why Tartarian theory might actually be very wrong using hard evidence about the decay of rocks and, right. and cathedrals, you know, mm-hmm. and he's actually saying, you know, you say a cathedral is a, is a, some kind of Tartarian energy harnessing machine of some kind. It's antiquitech, you know, but then right. he looks into it and he looks into the historical documentation of how they were built and when they were built. And he looks at the weathering patterns of the stones on them. And he, and he shows sections of the same cathedral where they've been redone. And you can mm-hmm. see where the original stone was, the new stone, and the even newer stone right next to each other. And it says the weathering matches the time scale we were actually told perfectly. Wow. You know what I mean? yeah. And it's not ancient. Antiquitech. It's actually, it was built exactly when they said it was built, and the weathering matches up perfectly. And you can see evidences of the changes. It even, even goes into the explanation of the Gothic style as it took over from the Roman style. The Roman arch was round, but the Gothic arch was more of the angle and taller. And it goes into all the history of it all, and he explains how you can see the change in the cathedral's designs as the time periods hit exactly when they said they would hit from the tr- from the history we actually were told. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then he goes on to explain how Antoloy Fomenko, the person who invented all of this Russian chronology ideology, is dodgy, and <laughs> we, should, we should basically be extremely careful about the sources of these type of yeah. theories. It's not a new theory actually at no. all. It's just become extremely prevalent now. Yeah. And you'll find the original progenitors of the theory were the Gnostic New Age types. Right. And they are out there to muddy the waters and lead people away from God any way they can, you know. And I, you I, love, I, love, I love that you said muddy the waters because when I was talking to Abby about this, when I first looked in Tartaria, I said, oh, I think I get it. I get the mud flood thing. It's, it's a bad pun. It's muddying the waters around things like a great flood and stuff like that, like stuff that we actually want to talk about, like the fact that every civilization's got a, a flood myth. Yeah, you know, so absolutely. I've I've wrote a whole chapter on flood myths all around the world in the book I'm Mm -hmm. writing on this Nephilim like clown subject because 
even though it's not necessarily about the clowns, it's about the death of the Nephilim and the survival sure. of certain Nephilim as well. So I had to kind of put it in there. In fact, the, the whole first section of my book is 10 chapters, which is laying out the history of the Nephilim. Um, and it's made mainly, mainly based on Gary Wayne's perspective. Um, I find his work on the, the Genesis 6 conspiracy, yeah. Gary Wayne. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty much on board with everything he says, to be honest. Yeah. I yeah. think he's nailed it. I think if there's anyone out there who's done more work to nail down biblical history as it actually was, is him. Um, but this character who's been berating me, it basically says, you know, well, people like me or Gary Wayne who say that the Nephilim existed and were the sons of angels mating with humans is a liar. And Nephilim were just people. They were just human beings is what he says. Such a bad and, translation of and he's trying text. to. Yeah. I know, I know. And he's trying to justify this idea that that means you're saying you should kill people and God killed all these people because of the blood. And people, it doesn't matter about the blood, you know, and it's all that type of thing. And it's like, well, I'm not justifying that you should kill anybody this day and age. Right. But what yeah. I'm saying is then, thousands of years ago, yes, there was a God-given mandate to wipe out this awful satanic race of reptilian monsters that were eating people. I don't think God's evil yeah. for mandating such a thing. I really do not think right. so, okay? It, um, it's crazy because that understanding finally made me understand God of the Old Testament. We're like, man, yeah. God of the Old Testament was like really violent, really awful. And I'm like when I understood the context, when I understood the, the Hebrew translations of things like, you know, number 1333 or why it talks about uh, the Canaanites bed being, you know, what, 13 feet long or 19 feet long or stuff King, like that. King Agabashan, yeah. There yeah, we go, King Agabashan. Yeah. I was like, oh, God's not saying, you know, massacre and slaughter these this other tribe of people that just don't think like you. He's like, no, these are actual demonic entities that you have to wipe out of the promised land. Yeah, so it, yeah. it was finishing off what he started with the uh -huh. flood, basically. Yep. Remnants made it through. And I think yep. it was mainly as a result of not only did the fallen angel watchers tell some of their children to build a boat, just like they told Noah, and the Mesopotamian uh, Epic of Gilgamesh is about right. just that. It's about yep. um, Enkidu or Enlil telling Zuizudra, mm -hmm. a, a Sumerian um, Larsa, king of Larsa at the time. He was a documented king of the list of kings of Larsa. You can find it. He's the last king of this antediluvian kingdom. He gets told by Enlil to build a cube boat yep. because the flood's coming. And then he does. He survives. And then he gets made immortal afterwards. That's right. not the Noah's. That's not the that's Noah's. That's not story. Noah's story. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Yeah. Noah wasn't a king of anything and he wasn't made immortal afterwards. And his boat was shaped differently. And it was a completely different. It was a Nephilim's flood survival myth. Yeah, and, and there's a and there's a couple of those around the world where the, when you realize who's surviving the flood in this myth, whether it's uh, I think like the Caribbean islands and stuff like that, you realize that they are they're Nephilim. Absolutely, and yeah. it seems like the people who did survive have powers. They're right. not human. They're not humans necessarily. Because, like for example, there's the, one I like to point out because it hits the nail on the head is in Ecuador they have these th people called the Canary people. And they believe in a great flood narrative. And they believe they are the descendants of two brothers who survived the flood by climbing to the top of a really tall mountain. And then once the waters receded, they ended up mating with human-bird hybrids. Yeah. Okay, macaw, parrot-looking, right. basically. Psychedelic, feathered-looking women. Um, and it was these women who were in the mountains, kept leaving food for the men. And when the men found the women, they raped them basically and created more hybrids more, more hybrids yeah hybrid creatures and the canary people today still believe they are the descendants of these creatures these people in that yeah. specific geographical location so first of all how the two brothers survived is a miracle they must have right. had some strength or something going on some extra human power 
And if the Bible's correct, when it says all flesh was corrupted, then all flesh was corrupted. And these people who survived were not people anymore. They were Mm -hmm. superpowered people. They had hardiness to them that we just don't have. The ability to to survive a grand deluge, for example, takes a lot of power. I think a lot of um, things like sirens, mermaids, half fish, half fish, human people, they would have had the ability to survive a flood quite easily. And then you have stories of fish gods rising out of the sea, you know, to these tribes people, and uh, you know, teaching them loads of things. There's a Dogon tribe in Africa, which is, that is the exact story. A fish god came out of the water and taught them everything they know, basically, and became their god and um, hybridized with them. And they still yeah. worship them today in the folk traditional rituals, you know. The Antediluvian Age was a trippy time, and there's a lot of survival of Nephilim and, and flood myths all over the earth. And people always point to it like saying, oh, well, you know, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Mesopotamian story came before Noah's story. Therefore, it's the truth. And Noah's just a copy. You know, I heard that exact that argument. Kind of they like, forget the, the, the tradition of carrying on these stories through spoken word for thousands exactly. of years. Yeah. It's just such a naive, myopic way of viewing history. It's kind right. of, I don't even know how to argue with those people. I don't argue with those people. It's not worth it's, your time, really. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's just naive. It's just yeah. naive at best, really. Yeah. <laughs> Evil at worst. At <laughs> worst, yeah. Hey, I just need to interrupt this fascinating subject for one minute to tell you about the sponsor of today's podcast, Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is based on the simple idea that nutrients need to be absorbed into the bloodstream and then into cells where they work to improve health. But most supplements use the same pill form delivery technologies that were around in the 1930s. Decades of lab work show that most pills, and even powders, have low absorption. These older delivery systems compress dehydrated, large, dense, insoluble particles that are 10 to 100 times too big for absorption through the small intestine where the human body absorbs most nutrients. That's why Healthy Cell has developed their patented microgel technology. Healthy Cell gives you a once-a-day multivitamin and a gel pack to tackle all kinds of issues, like ones developed specifically to help you with REM sleep, or my personal favorite, their Focus and Recall Supplement. So do what I do and go over to HealthyCell.com and use code CONSPIRACY to get 20% off your first order. Now back to the show. Um, so, you know, we talked about the multicolor collective. I, yeah. I think, you know, let's go back to this idea that in the West, we dress like clowns inadvertently being possessed by the, the Nephilim demons, basically. That's our way of channeling them, whether people realize it or not. I think there are people in the entertainment industries who purposefully do it to Mm -hmm. gain power from demons, you know? Um, And now I've said it, I I implore your listeners to go out there and look, look for it. You'll see it everywhere. White face, red lipstick of some kind, uh, crazy wild multicolored fractaled clothing in some way. That's all they need to do. And they will be elevated to grand levels. And they'll also, it's probably how people, you know, get powers to play guitars that they couldn't prior play or sing really well and all this type of stuff. You know what I mean? There's some elements to it there. They gain something from it, you know? That As is a fake. story that's very common. I mean, what was I can't remember the name of the guy, but the Crossroads, right? Uh, yeah. The the jazz singer, and yeah, he was like a blues, blues guitarist. guitarist. Yeah, yeah. And he he couldn't play for shit. Basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> people would like say that he makes a terrible noise when he tries to play guitar. And one day he just comes back and he can. He's like the best guitarist they've ever seen in their entire life. And he yeah. invented blues, basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was elevated to great levels. And uh, this 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 is another thing, a, a kind of interesting point to get into, actually. So there's this idea in Western occultism, you know, if, you, if you're going to summon a demon intentionally, you make a pentagram, you light the candles, you evoke the sigils and you, you say the mantras and the demon gets summoned and you do the right things to keep it trapped within its realm so you can control the demon for your own personal benefits, all that kind of stuff. 
then we have all this pomp and circumstance, these rituals that we perform where we believe we have some kind of control exercised over the demon. Um, but that's just not the case in any other culture around the world. Right. It doesn't seem like you need to do anything for the demon to possess you realistically. Dressing like them helps, you know. <laughs> being Basically more, an invitation is all yeah, it takes, Being, right? being yeah. more of an inviting is, is more yeah. willing. But I do think in the West, the demons kind of play us a little bit, or the occultists of the West, and they let the people believe that all these rituals they're doing are kind of controlling them. Yeah. I think there's a bit, of a, a bit of a lie going on here. I don't think it matters. I think they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, essentially doesn't matter what you say or do <laughs> like they're in control at all times you know the, the control aspect is so interesting because if you study alistair crowley and and jp uh i can't think of his name um jet propulsions lab guy jpl uh you study these people what you keep finding out time and time again especially in crowley's case is that they're like if i do this thing i can control the thing and then i failed like i let it out but I can't control it. And it just keeps happening. And they, and they still seem to keep believing that if they just do it right the next time, if they just do a six month ritual instead of a six week ritual, that they'll actually control this thing. And it just, I, they do, it does seem like they're getting played. It's like, it's like a Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown constantly. And they just keep yeah. falling for it. I think it's, I think it was even told in a Disney cartoon with uh, Mickey Mouse. He's a, dressed like a wizard and he uses his magic. It's the wizard's apprentice or something like that. Yeah. He uses his magic to do yeah. the chores and he gets mm -hmm. the broom to. Um, An do, Anastasia? To no, it's not state. Fantasia. Something like that. Yeah. And he gets the yeah. broom, uses magic to get the broom to, to sweep the floor itself. So we don't, it's not being said, but he got a demon in the spirit realm yeah. to sweep the floor for him, basically. <laughs> That's yeah. what actually happened. You know what I mean? Um, but then it gets out of control very quickly. Mm -hmm. And he has no control over it. He becomes a mess. The whole house gets trashed, I think, is how it ends, basically. Right. Um, and it's telling you that. They're telling you, you don't have any control over the demons at all. Like, yeah. your rituals mean nothing to them, literally. The only thing that has power over them is the name of Jesus Christ and the authority that he's given us. That's yeah. it. That's it, you know, and they don't want you to know that. That's the last thing they'll want you to actually know. Um, and this is, this is where a lot of theories come into this idea, because obviously demons possess people. Uh, but demons can be cast out of people, too. So demons don't like that. <laughs> it's, right. it's not an optimal situation for them to be possessing human bodies that can kick them out at any moment. You know, it's not good. Um, and, you know, it, it pisses them off quite regularly that people suddenly get saved and then they have to leave this home they've lived in for years because the Holy Spirit's kicking them out. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um, so they're striving with the agendas of the secret societies to build a new body for them. You know, mm. or create as many willing vessels as possible to inhabit them, you know, which is why I think our society is highly geared towards right now, pushing clowns onto people. Uh, I think it's a big push to get more people you know, possessed, basically. I mean, even recently at the start of this year, Elle magazine, a fashion magazine, made a, a, a post basically showing that the runways now have clown core fashion and they're pushing the clown aesthetic into the fashion industry as the hot new trend for people to start wearing, you know, and they have these models walking down the runway dressed like Harlequin and like clowns looking absolutely insane. Um, but the thing is what you see there, what's downwind of that into the outlet stores that me and you buy our clothes from, you're going to see clownish fashion start to manifest into it as a thing to actually legitimately do. You know what I mean? And it's going to be perfectly normal and accepted to do. And if you imagine a hunger games like society, yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. In that, crazy, in that crazy way. Well, it's called um, Capitol Couture in the Hunger Games, the capital fashion, you know. Mm -hmm. 
and we're seeing that actually literally coming into our world now as a legitimate trend to actually dress like and not be ridiculed for wearing you know and they have the idols and the celebrities dressing that way currently there was a I think it showed Harry Styles dressed in a stupid Harlequin leotard or something like that. And it's like saying, look how edgy and cool he is, you know, rocking the layers trend type of thing. Well, even just in the mainstream, look at uh, what uh, DC did with Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, you know, like they made it a a normal costume for everybody to dress up like daddy's little monster T-shirt and the whole thing and the hair and the colors became like, I don't know what year, but a couple of years ago, it was like the number one halloween outfit to dress like you know a modern day kind of version of a clown absolutely they, yeah. they are pushing it on us they are they yeah. are making people i mean uh, the drag queen phenomena for example yeah, that, they are literally dressing like nephilim i can't put it any other clearer than it is they dress it's super like, clear just look at the pictures they are literally yeah. dressed as demons that's literally and they what have to be in front yeah. of your children like is the is the big absolutely. push and yeah. it's the big androgyne push as well, you know, the, the gender-bending male-female hybrid mix monsters with huge red hair, the makeup like clowns to make the eyes look bigger than they actually are, you know. I mean, I never even discussed it. I've discussed it at length and everywhere else, but I haven't even discussed the clown broken down, you know, what the symbols and metaphors even mean. Um, it might be a good way to kind of finish off the talk. Sure, yeah, let's do but, it. Um, so fundamentally, I, I, I've laid the foundation here. We've meandered, but... The clown was purposefully invented as a symbol to represent demons by a Freemason called Charles Dibden. And it was popularized by further Freemasons into the modern era through circuses. And also obviously remember the Shriners, which are high level Freemasons who then go into Shrining. There's 13 levels to being a Shriner. Um, They all have their own clown sect where they get to dress like clowns and go to children's hospitals and entertain children or whatever. But what that is, is the secret societies being able to dress like demons publicly and venerate their demon gods without people realizing it. But even a level above that, by invitation only, is the Royal Order of the Jesters. Mm-hmm. And they are like up there, you know, and they are you can't find anything out about them anywhere. They are the most secreted occulted organization ever <laughs> like you try and find some information on the royal order of the jesters you're going to be hard pressed extremely hard pressed but what we do know is in around 2013 there was a scandal to do with sex slaves that kind of got very quickly buried to do with it these people are dodgy as hell and i think that the worst the highest of the elites get to become members of the royal order of the jesters i think they are the true agents of chaos in our society i think they're in the highest positions of entertainment as well um and they are fully working with demons, like on a one-to-one basis. Hence, the Royal Order of the Jesters. That's what the, that's what they're truly talking about there. Um, but let's get back to clowns. How is a clown a nephilim? So we have the white skin basis foundation. Anywhere nephilim are discussed, they have white skin. Red hair is another extreme basic trait of any nephilim creature. White skin, red hair, inherited from the white skin marked people of Cain, and the fieriness and the red. The, plume serpentness of their parents clowns have makeup to have a wide grin the joker is a big common basic example of this that's a serpent's mouth a snake right. can open its jaw to dislocate its jaw to eat its prey uh, the, the the nephilim had serpentine features they had a big wide mouth that could open incredibly wide inherited from the serpentine fathers that's all that represents on a clown the big red wide smile um i think they would have had red human lips as well so that would have looked very weird Right, snakes yeah. don't have snakes don't creepy. have lips. Yeah, snakes don't have lips, but humans do. So a big wide mouth with lips, that's just strange. And that's probably the red around the mouth on a clown. 
Right. Um, but it could be a reference to their cannibalistic nature as they were eating people's flesh, blood all over the mouth. It could be that. Or even dipping onto the nose as well. Uh, the red nose, people with incredibly pale skin are susceptible to rosacea. Rosacea in its extreme forms can cause things called rhinophimas, which are big bulbous growths on the end of the nose that are red. It's likely the Nephilim being so incredibly pale developed rhinophimas as they got older. So they had big red noses. It's a literal trait of the Nephilim that developed over time. And when they were born, they probably didn't have it. But the older they get, the bigger the nose tends to grow, outgrow them and get more red and full of blood. Uh, so that's probably what that was about, the red nose. But it also could be symbolic of dipping the blood onto the nose as they eat a carcass or something symbolically, maybe. But I think it's more literal, like a literal mm-hmm. feature. You find the red nose represented quite a lot in a lot of cultures in many different ways. Not always necessarily there, but it is there sometimes. Um, I've heard a North American tribe of the city car describe the Nephilim they had to fight, which had long red hair and white skin, as the noseless ones. So it's possible they had a hole <laughs> rather wow, than actual yeah. nose, um, which would have looked like a red dot in the center of the face. You know, It does so remind that. me a bit of like the reptilian stuff, right? Where a lot of times they're represented without a nose, but just slits more like a, more like a snake or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it could be many variations of Nephilim existed. They didn't all look identical. They had these base traits, shall we say. And the clown is a caricature of these traits. It's an exaggerated version of all these traits kind of melded together uh, into like one symbol we call a clown. So clowns tend to have makeup that makes the brow ridge look incredibly tall, a big black line that goes up like this. And they usually shade it in blue, most common. Mm -hmm. When you close your eyes, that makes it look like they have big blue glowing eyes, basically which is a basic Nephilim trait. Once again, they were called the glowing ones for this reason. And they had huge, big glowing, either gold or blue eyes, very common traits. It's not, it's not uncommon to see a diamond shape or a slit going down the eyes of a clown. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's again, a serpent pupil. It's usually a slit, like a feline pupil of some kind. Um, They usually have a skull cap that makes the, the skull look incredibly long. Um, that's because the elongated skulls that were found all over the earth are remnants of these Nephilim creatures. They had elongated skulls inherited from the elongated, stretched out serpentine parents, basically. Um, right. The red hair on the side is usually what's attached to the big long skull to accentuate how big the skull is in the symbol of a clown. Uh, so that's the face, pretty much mm-hmm. broken down. Nephilim to the core. The body, multicolored fractal pattern clothing, serpentine skin. That's basically what it's a reference to. Uh, serpents were... Serpents are incredibly psychedelic creatures, and the clothes a clown wears are the most colorful psychedelic things they can possibly imagine. It can also represent the fractal matrix psychedelic DMT world they currently reside in as spirits as well. It's a twofold symbol. Clowns often wear a ruffle around their neck, a big white ruffle. They say, oh, well, it's a symbol of aristocracy to mock the rich people of the time, but actually reptilians also have a frill around the neck. It's quite common in Australia to have lizards with frills around the neck as well. It's a strictly reptilian trait. And there's actually a film in 2014 called Clown, where a man puts on a costume of a clown and gets possessed by it because it's not a costume. It's the skin of a demon that used to exist called a cloin. And he puts on the costume and can't take it off. He can't take it off until he eats five children. And one distinct feature of the costume is a reptilian frill around the neck with spines going through it like bones because this Mm. creature that looked like a clown was a reptile, basically. It's all there in that film. You know, they show yeah. you clearly what they actually look like. So the neck ruffle of a clown is actually a reference to the reptilian nature again. And then there's 
within the clown image after this, it's all about height. They are giants. Everything is there to accentuate the size of the creature. Giant shoes, big feet, giants. Big gloves and hands, giants. On stilts, giants. Um, tiny hats and umbrellas makes them look bigger than they actually are because they're giants. Anything that you see from them is just a reference to accentuating the size of the creature. A tiny car, same thing, right? True. And also with that, I've recently started to point out the fact that a car, symbolically, if you ever into, if you ever have you ever dreamt your car broke down? Oh, yeah. had that dream? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, usually that happens when you feel in your life that you're not progressing mm-hmm. in some way or your body is ill and you're dealing with processing that you can't move through the world as you used to be able to. So the car is actually a symbol for the human body in dream talk. And what happens in a circus? Many clowns come out of the car. Many demons come out of the human body. It's a symbol. It's a metaphor for that process of they are legion. And one vessel, one body, one car can hold many demons. That's basically, I think think that's a tongue-in-cheek reference to that, created on purpose for that symbolic reason, to be honest. It fits perfectly, symbolically speaking. Um, But it's all speculation on me, you know, but symbolically speaking, it's uncanny. That right, it yeah. It it's like an I am legion kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it literally means that symbolically. If you if you dream of many clowns coming out of a car, you know, a clown demon, car person, many demons coming out of a person. It's it's all there. You know what I mean? I can't right, like yeah. in any way. So that's that's my speculation on what that represents, funnily enough. But uh, even then, they're all the clown is the creature within the circus. The circus is the DMT fractaled crazy realm. They're trapped there in a ring in an endless cycle they can't get out of. And um, they are orchestrated and controlled. Um, their lives are dictated to them by the ringmaster and they are used by those who would summon them, basically. It's all there. It's all symbolically there because it's all created by Freemasons who work intimately with demons. Um, it's not an accident. You know, it's, it's done on purpose. And all, it's just pattern recognition. All you need to, to see that see it. No one's admitted this. <laughs> You're not going to find right, a. They're not going to admit it, right? You know? yeah. <laughs> if you have the eyes to just break outside the of outside of like movies and symbolism and stuff like that, yeah, where the, the yeah. kind of revelation of the method it. But outside of that, I mean, this is something like you said, created by Freemasons. Freemasons don't do any symbol on accident. It has been admitted that uh, the circus was created. That one show was created by Freemasons to recreate the lodges. Um, rituals on a grand scale so they have admitted that they've used circuses to do freemasonic rituals i've got i've got it all in my book actually it's documented it that did happen so there's there's plenty of hints everywhere but no one's outright said like it's a secret society they're not going to give away all the secrets you know what i mean no one's outright said yes a clown represents a demon within those cultures there are plenty of authors in the world who have said the Harley Quinn literally has his roots in, de- in demons, which I've explained to you the history of in this show. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it is there. The information is there. Just no one's ever really put it together until I, I started to just meander through it. You know, well, it's good it work, man. You've done a wonderful job. And for people who want to check out uh, your stuff, they can find you on, on YouTube where you've got, what, like 35 uh, different Four, episodes? 40, 40 now. 40 now. Wow. I'm about, I'm about to release 41. So by the time oh, they nice. watch this, I might be up to 43 or 42. Who knows? But, awesome. Uh, awesome. And then you keep yeah, referencing a book. Is your book out or is it coming out or? I am writing it currently. Okay. Um, I am 14 chapters into a planned out 30. So awesome. I'm halfway, I'm halfway through. 
and it's it's everything it's all just going to go into the book all my research for the past seven years has been documented into this book it's a scholarly work it's not a joke i'm i'm, I'm keeping it as lighthearted as i can but it's it's a referenced book it's a proper book you know it's written for the purpose of research basically um i want people to take it i, I know it's i'm talking about clowns but it's no laughing matter <laughs> I like it, man. Well, is there anything else you want to plug before I let you go? Uh, and again, really appreciate you coming on. There's so much in this episode. And when your book comes out, please reach out to us. I'd love to have you back on. And after I've been able to read your book and talk more about this stuff. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, you can find, just find me on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, type in Understanding Conspiracy. You'll find all my work there. Um, I have a Telegram group you can join as well under the same name. I am on Twitter. If you, I don't use it very often, but um, I've started to get more into it now. I'm on the podcast circuit. Everyone keeps getting in touch with me on there, so I keep to be, I seem sure. to be growing, a growing an audience on there suddenly. So <laughs> join me on Twitter or X as it's called now um, if, you, if you want. Um, I have backup channels on BitChute and Odyssey, but I don't really use them. They're just where work gets backed up to just in case everything gets suddenly pulled out from under me. At least it's all there somewhere. Right. Uh, but you, YouTube is the place to be. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was Paul Stobbs, guys, from Understanding Conspiracy. Appreciate having you on. And we'll talk again soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So that was our interview with Paul Stobbs. That was uh, really cool. Yeah, that was your first time seeing it. So what, like, what are some of your thoughts? There's a lot there. I'm glad you guys got to cover so much. Um, the, the physical similarities were really... That's that last bit was still i'm still thinking about that um yeah i mean they're like way more reptilian than you would think like i never even thought about the slit eyes and other reptilian type features around clowns because i haven't really i haven't really put a lot of thought to like what what the nephilim looked like like we have Mm -hmm. we have goliath and he's just described as a, a big man right but he was also a really watered down version of the nephilim he was only what nine feet yeah, he was much, tiny. much, much smaller. Yeah, tiny, he was basically tiny, tiny. like a runt Nephilim. And his brothers were described as being bigger, and mm-hmm. they all had been described as six fingers. So, like, mm-hmm. he, with Goliath, it's not even clear if he was still Nephilim enough or had enough fallen angel DNA to even have six fingers on each hand. Right. Right. I, I, it is, okay, one of my big questions is why we don't have spider parties for little kids. Mm-hmm. We don't have snake parties for little kids, unless it's like a little boy and he wants one, right? Right. Why Why are clowns something we introduce to kids really young, even though we know that they are usually scared of them? This is, well, exactly. That is the question, right? Is I've never met a person who's like, who likes clowns. Right. You know what I mean? If they like clowns, it's in an ironic, like, I like this creepy factor of them kind of way. Right. I like it. I like being scared like horror. But it's not in a, I think clowns are fun kind right. of way. I remember my first my first encounter with a clown. I was four, and I knew the man who was dressing up as a clown, and I already liked him. So I was already predisposed to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And the other kids were already saying, I'm scared of clowns, I'm scared of clowns. So I was like, well, I'm going to be stronger than all of you and not be scared of clowns, you idiots. So, But, but this is this horror thing, right? It's right. like people like it because they like being brave, not because right. they like exactly. the Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, I have I, I don't see the appeal. I never saw the appeal of of it. I was like, this is weird. Why? Yeah. So Why? like legitimately though, when when I when you heard the name of the episode, and again, this is your first time seeing it, we've talked about it a little bit, but like even in our Discord, when somebody's like the Nephilim are clowns, it sounded mm. like 
this is going to be a, a kind of joke episode, maybe like even April 1st type episode. Right. Like it's like, it's not a real conspiracy. We're just kind of poking fun at it. And I don't know if Paul said this in our interview. He said it in other interviews where it was someone uh, had made the joke online that the Nephilim looked like clowns or the, yeah, sorry. Clowns look like the Nephilim mm. as a actual satire of conspiracy theorists. And <laughs> by taking that satire and going like, well, where does that come from? Because the yeah. guy explained it like, because they look like this and this and this, like the Nephilim did. And he's like, hold on, that's Wait maybe second. not a joke. Right. We can all, I think most people, even people who aren't particularly like into the paranormal or anything will recognize that the uncanny valley is mm-hmm. uncanny for a reason that we, that we have a genetic memory instinct to be afraid of something that looks human, but isn't. But we don't recognize that there's a reason that we're afraid of clouds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I never fully understood it. I, I never understood how people made their entire livings off of dressing up as something that terrifies people and then being invited to kids' birthday parties. Right. It's, but, it's insane. But he made the connection again to um, drag queens. And what's the push mm. now? The push is like, nobody likes Bozo anymore, right? So how do we get these Nephilim spirits in mm. front of children and it seems to be that the new way is drag queens it's the same features the same look uh we got another um uh rumble rant over here from uh doge shit poster 69 <laughs> says if we use the septuagint goliath would have been six foot nine because of the septuagint records his height at a smaller number than the masoretic text the average nba center is seven foot tall under the giant was seven three there's a reason we don't use the Septuagint. I it's, was going to say, I don't think bad, the Septuagint is correct on that. Um, yeah. There's, um, there still, were, though, there he's less than 10 feet tall, roughly, right? Or, or at right, most about 10 right. feet tall. So one thing I, I have been meaning to mention about giants, um, as we're talking about things, is that not every tall person in history is a Nephilim. I think there's a clear distinction between someone like Goliath, who is clearly described in the Bible as being physically strong in proportion to his height. And then somebody like the tallest man recorded in the world who had a pituitary gland um, tumor. Right. And yeah. so he was really, really tall, but also incredibly frail. Um, there's something that's the wrong reason why there. That's the yeah. reason why science says giants are impossible is because right. we l- only look at people like that. People like right. Andre the Giant. Well, Andre the Giant's not a good example, but uh, like that eight foot tall Chinese guy yeah. who just could barely walk, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the up, I, I think so. The the current the current tallest is Sultan Kozen. Um, he is eight feet two, almost three inches. Uh, he's a Turkish farmer, uh, born in nineteen eighty two. But he he walks with crutches. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that's not. I don't think he has Nephilim blood. No. No. I don't think so either. But I do think that that the same science that allows a pituitary tumor to do that is a connected science to, to um, you, you, you talked about how, when, when a tiger and a lion mate, something turns off the, the growth. Yeah, I can explain it really quick yeah. for people who didn't catch that. Um, there is a growth uh, inhibitor gene in all, in all, everything, right. In all, all mammals. Um, in the tiger, I believe it's found in the female and the lion's found in the male. Mm. So if you crossbreed a liger, it's the only way to do it. I'm, I'm probably backwards on this, so don't quote me on it. But it's one way, right? Where if you mm-hmm. use a certain uh, gender of tiger and a certain gender of 
a lion, they will successfully mate. They will make a liger and a liger mm-hmm. will never stop growing mm-hmm. because it's, it um, does not have the growth inhibitor gene. Male lion, female tiger. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like the, the idea there would be that if an angel slept with a human woman, uh, and again, it's always that way, right? It's always mm-hmm. human women, um, that there might not be a growth inhibitor gene. That's why they would continue to grow and grow and grow. Right. And grow. Yeah. But they would grow proportionally and not just because of a like tumor on their pituitary gland. Just, right. And the whole different. idea of a liger in and of itself breaks the whole square cubed law that a, a cat couldn't grow like mm. exponentially bigger right. without. Yeah. It, right. it shatters that. Um, answered Seder has a rumble rant over here. This is my aunt told us a compressed story of it by Stephen King when I was about six years old and it scared Oof. the shit out of me. I refused to take a shower for a few days without my mom because because of clowns because of clowns it is interesting because it's it's it is it's an interdimensional embodiment of fear dressed up like a clown that kills people it gives me further reason to not like insane clown posse because i always felt there was something demonic there and i'm like Mm. oh it's because their entire band and their juggalos and all of it are just yeah. Uh, a cult around Nephilim, essentially. There's yeah. so much in the clown stuff, like bringing up the like the clown world and the clown emoji use and and um, clown makeup. There's, I've seen a lot of like women doing clown makeup, so like sexy clown female stuff. It, it yeah. coming into the fashion. It's clown weird. Core. Yeah, we we talked about clown core and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think Paul's done a really good job. He continues to to delve into different aspects of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely a guy I would love to... Con- I mean, I continue to talk to him. He's in our Discord. Uh, yeah. He's been a great source of, of information and stuff like that. And in fact, next week we're having on uh, a guest that Paul had reached out to me and suggested to us talking, uh, going to dive further into some Hatman uh, mm, lore and yeah. stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, no, and then there was the whole connection with DMT and stuff like that. We yeah. talked about uh, like DMT elves and and stuff. I, I think it's always wild on this show where we get off, we do an episode where we get off into territory that we don't think anyone is talking about. And then somebody else comes along and shows that they are doing, like they're on the exact same train of thought, exact same wavelength. So someone mm-hmm. like Paul comes along and it's like, yeah, same conclusions about, DMT, same conclusions about this whole space. I saw clowns there. <laughs> and then going on with there from there is is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think this was um very fascinating stuff. I think in a minute, we got a couple of rumble rants. We got some some uh, memes sent to yeah, us. And I just kind of want to be able to read your guys' comments and hear what you're thinking. I was uh, the chat was wild. Uh yeah, it was fun. All of that. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fun, guys. So again, if you're listening to this, you really should come over to Rumble, check out the show live if you can. I know not, not everybody can, but uh, it definitely, the it's chat makes it worth it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it was great just in this episode to be able to sit there and read and comment in the chat. Yeah, a and not miss anything. And yeah. not miss anything. Um, so we'll be moving over to that really quickly. We have a five-star review from David Richard Berkowitz, who says, great podcast, just found them, and they're three-hour, all in caps, episode on the Las Vegas shooting was great. Uh, yes, it was three hours um, yep. because we wanted Don't to cover me. it in full. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as well, no, it's just one of those things like if there's enough there, we want to take the time and people, mm. uh, I think, appreciate it. You know, they can watch it in chunks if they have to. Um, but that one was, uh, I felt like I was going nonstop for three hours just trying to like fit Get in everything. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, one more, one more rumble rant here. We got from Answered Sage. Says also the room where we used to sleep at my grandma's house had the sad hobo clown portrait in it, 
my brother and I barely ever slept staying at grandma's house. Yikes. What what was it about our grandparents' generation that found clowns acceptable? Like, it was not my family, but like other families I know of had really creepy freaking clown stuff, like portraits, uh, pillows, things like that. Like when Bozo was a thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of, okay, so I promised I would bring this. This <clears throat> well, I promised I would bring this up in the Rumble section, and we have not turned off YouTube yet. So we've not. Um. We are going to talk about Blue Bloods over in the Rumble section, but not yet. Okay, so we will do that. We'll move over to the Rumble section. If you're watching on YouTube, please come over and follow us on rumble.com slash C slash Conspiracy Pilled. Um, we never know what episodes are going to be lost on YouTube, so yep. we really try to push the Rumble stuff. Uh, yeah, and we will get to your memes and all of that over there. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll be back tomorrow night on Unhinged talking about zombies. Uh, and those of you who are watching live, we're going to be talking to you and people listen on our Locals channel. You'll be able to listen to that whole section for free. So... Thank you, guys. Uh, see you in just a minute. God bless.